Hello, and welcome to our inaugural 2017 first episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and with me as always, my partner in crime, Brian Hughes. Hello. Hello. How's it going, Brian? Oh, just taking a drink of water. I'm doing I'm doing great. Um, it's a, a nice Sunday here. Everybody's quiet, except maybe the dogs. <laughs> Um, but I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this uh, unusually warm weather for January. You know, it's been in like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So uh, other than that, I've been I've been super busy with work and uh, getting getting our stuff ready for uh, Japan because yesterday was well as this recording the day before was our two month um, two months out. So we've got our packet, we've got our tickets, we've got. We got everything. We just kind of have to get our, all, you know, figure how we're going to pack and any little stuff like that, but and get ready for a sixteen-hour flight. Okay, so how much Japanese do you know aside uh, from yo, yosh, and hi, and <laughs> very, very little. I've got a little Japanese book that uh, Fanila got me about a year ago, and I've got an app on my phone that will translate. So I speak into it; it'll translate Japanese, or it'll. Do vice versa, so they can speak it. It'll translate into English. Yeah, you, what you want is you want that guy that goes very good. <laughs> yeah. You say arigato like we say arigato. Well, apparently, it's uh, a lot of them speak English. It's not uh, the language barrier is not as, as uh, much of a problem as you think it would be. And luckily for Tokyo, we have for one day we have a guided tour, and for. Uh, then Kyoto and Hiroshima, we have a guided tour. So it's just that person and us kind of walk around all day. So that'll be nice. You just don't ask where Godzilla hit. Okay. I hate that. <laughs> oh, they're, they're going to take us to host studios though. So I get to see uh, the Godzilla statue and see the studio. So oh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed. They took down the water tank though. You know, the, you know they, they, t- they took down the main water tank that they used at Toho for all the the water scenes that you'd see Godzilla. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones in, oh. you know. And yeah. uh yeah. Apparently they don't do they don't do tours, so you really can't say anything in the studio. You can just see the studio, you can see the statue which is kind of out front and I think on one of the buildings is a big mural. But we do get to go to not Toei. We get to go to uh, Jack and Eddie's gonna yell at me getting this wrong. It's not Toei, that's Gamera. It's whoever produces the Power Rangers. Uh, oh, wow. Is that Dio? 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 Anyway, uh, then they have, actually have a tour of that studio where they produce all the 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 Ultraman, maybe not Ultraman, but they produce all the Power Rangers stuff. So we're going to kind of get to see kind of a working studio for that. So that's going to be cool. That'll be great. That'll be great. I'm happy for you. Oh, I'll be still I'm, weighing I'm, your luggage. Yeah. Well, we're trying to pack light, but apparently Tokyo or Japan has a uh, they have a system of forward luggage uh, luggage forwarding that is pretty reliable. That you could just oh, I'm going to be in this town, and they will forward your luggage from one hotel to the next, and it's just there waiting for you when you show up, so you don't have to carry your stuff around. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. That, you know, the, and I think what will probably be interesting is they'll probably have those non-invasive scanners at the airports too. Like nope. the ones that they use in Israel where you just stand in there and if you have a bombing, it detonates it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't plan on like carrying bombs with this. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't I hope do. not. <laughs> but uh, I, just, I just hope you guys have a fun, safe journey. 
maybe uh, maybe you can go to that same uh, hotel uh, paddy wagon place that, that William Shatner and the guys went to <laughs> in that show over the last couple of months. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. That show came on and Fanula said, oh, you got to watch this because they're in Japan. And what was that show called? Um, better Late Than Never, I think. Yeah, Better Late Than Never. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. We're, uh, I, don't, we're, I don't know why they had that young guy with them. It should have just been the four guys. I think that, it's that, that I don't know who that guy was. That guy would act like he was friends with him. I think that was just a, a somebody they hired to be uh, for them to kind of play off of. Yeah, you know, but but they they were able to play off each other really really well. Yeah, really. Yeah, you know, you got the sense that whether they were actual friends or not, I don't know. But they certainly had they had pretty good chemistry with each other. Well, you know, the thing is, the way it seemed to me, it seemed like there was the three guys and there was Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> and I don't know if he got along with anyone, but he, he just went and did his own thing where everybody else was really trying to get into it, you know? He did, but I think I got a feeling Bradshaw probably gets along with it. It was just about anybody. That's kind of why Fanula watched because yeah. we were kind of getting all that in Shatner. I got a kick out of, you know, the fact that that man is 80, it's about 85, 86, yeah. and he's yeah. traipsing around, uh, Tokyo, so yeah, kudos, you know, if he, to him. Stan, if he and Stan Lee went out cruising for women, that would be a dangerous night. <laughs> well, uh, the is it fan days? It's going to be here in Dallas in March or February or April. Mm-hmm. The next one coming up, Stan Lee is going to be at it, and that's supposedly his last appearance. Well, but they said no, that wait, last year because there's a there's a show next weekend with George Perez, right? Yeah, that's that's the little North Texas comic show. That's the one I'm gonna try to go to. That's not as big. But... That's the good. That's the goodbye Red State show for for George. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and I'm not so much going for Perez because I'm not necessarily a Perez fan. I don't really have a lot of his stuff. I but uh, that's that's a big name for this show to get because I've been to it once and it's a tiny little show. So it it must yeah. be getting bigger every year. Well, I mean, they still got tickets for sale though. I mean, they got they got VIP tickets for sale. Right yeah, now. I don't think a which lot of is, people. Which is think. weird because you know, like when the other cons go on, they get those VIP tickets. They're sold out months in advance. I think this 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 uh, con must not be as well known as hmm. the other ones. Um, I'm kind of interested in going because uh, Marv Wolfman is going to be there. I just don't have the money to go right now. Um, you know, it's, I've got some George Perez art from Teen Titans. I want to say it's issue nineteen. It's a it's a whole page to, devoted to Doctor Light. I think that's why I was able to get it. That's cool. But I always thought Doctor Light was cool villain. It's an actual comic page. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's the only one I've got, except for the work that John Rajo did for me back in the eighties. But that was you know self work and so yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. I, I, I would love to collect comic comic pages, but God, they're so expensive. You try to collect yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I went and looked on uh, Burns. Uh, on Burns website he's got a link to the the gallery that sells his stuff and there are pages still available from a lot of his stuff later stuff that he did for DC uh, Generations 3 and I think some new God stuff but it it is all for the most part the pages where you don't get great big huge shots of Superman or various characters there's one page in there that I am really interested in and it's the one page where um and just from Generations 2, I'm sorry. Uh, I think – is it Generations 2 or Generations? Uh, now I'm going to have to refresh myself on this myself. Uh, actually, it's from Generations 1. It's the page where they come across, uh, I believe, Superman's Fortress of Solitude 
and the Green Lantern had put the barrier around it and everybody had been trying to break into it. And you get to see that for the first time. And you see Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern. That's nice. In, in Generations. And, and that page was still available the last time I looked. And it was like $125 or $175. That's not, that's not crazy. I mean, that's I know. Not... And, and that's the thing. Because these pages are not pages that have the big shots of the characters. The, the, the pages that get the, big, the high dollar when they go for sale and stuff, such. It's not like so, splash pages and stuff like that. There was one other thing I wanted to bring up, and this isn't, a, you know, obviously a John Byrne-related uh, item as well. Um, my friend uh, Weldon Adams, um, he used to uh, run a number of comic book stores in the area here over the years. Now he works for an auction house, uh, Heritage Auctions, which is becoming a big, mm-hmm. big auction house oh, yeah. in, in the area. And they've got a piece in there. Yeah, uh, E. Nelson Bridwell handcrafted comic books. The original art and unpublished works are going to – it's a 17 uh, pieces of handcrafted, one-of-a-kind comic books created by E. Nelson Bridwell. He was the continuity cop for DC for many, many years. And he comes out of Oklahoma. So that's why this stuff came available here mm-hmm. in Texas. Um they were done in the style of classics, illustrated comics, and there's about a total of 46 total pages, I think, of comic art, hand-drawn, hand-lettered, and a couple pages of text, things that he'd worked on back then. And it's about to go up for sale on the uh, at Heritage Auctions. And so uh, it's something to look at if you're a fan of, fan of his work over the years. Uh, it's a, definitely a piece of history. But it's oh, probably yeah. going to get pretty, pretty penny, so you'd have to have a little bit of money put aside. But yeah, uh, yeah that's... Heritage auctions. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky to have one. I own my comic page, and it's a burn page, and it's uh, from Spider-Man Chapter One, Issue Nine. I think he's fighting Electro, or Issue Seven. But uh, I found that I just got that on eBay. But oh wow, I I, I mean yeah, I I actually bought mine at a Comic Con when I did. I've I seen those, and I've almost awesome. bought a couple times, uh, reasonable prices, but it's just. My goal at one point when I thought I would might collect more of these was to get – I wanted to get a page from – oh, my uh, – a Spider-Man page from my, my favorite artist. So I wanted a Bagley. I wanted a, a Simonson. I wanted a you – know, like I have a Zek, I don't, you know, some of that – some of the older older stuff. Yeah. You know, I'd love to have a, a Romita Jr. But I don't think he sells his yeah. stuff anymore. Yeah, but you can find that out there though. All right. Well, uh, you, um, you finally got to go see Rogue One, didn't you? I did. I saw – it's been a couple weeks, I guess. A couple, three weeks I've saw it. And I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it better than The Force Awakens. I think I liked it better than The Force Awakens. You know, as, as I've had time to think about that, and, and I'm probably going to watch it today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, legally, folks, legally I'm going to watch it. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh the, the thing that, that, that comes to me on it is that you know, there's two things. Number one, the last half hour, the third act, is really some of the best Star Wars we've seen in a long time. And, Absolutely. It, it's yeah. just, yeah, it, it's... But the, the first two acts, number one, they, they don't give us the characters in a way that makes you care for them enough, aside from, say, the, the robot. And in my case, I, I, I was really curious about Donnie Yen's character, but I think that's more because it was Donnie Yen and he had some tie to the force, but, but you know, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, were you able to walk out of it the first time and then say the name of any characters other than Jen or so? 
Probably not, but I don't ca- I don't know if I attribute that to lack of characterization. Or that's something that's been uh, said about the film that it, that they're a little two dimensional and kind of cardboard. But at the end, and maybe it's because the way it ended, I felt more emotionally invested in the characters than I did in The Force Awakens. Hmm. And maybe it was because I I contributed maybe to it was dealing with more more familiar uh, properties because it's not in the future it's basically dealing with the same timeline and uh, you know tech and equipment and ships that of uh, Star Wars instead of being in the future it I didn't think it had the baggage as much as I like him being included I don't didn't have the baggage of Han Solo being in it you know that was such a big or having to introduce uh, new storylines and introduce new characters because we don't know where it's going. Obviously, Rogue One, we kind of know at one point we know how it's going to end because we know what it leads into. So maybe right. that it, it maybe did, that was it. And it didn't have to to enter us into any mysteries. No, no, it just it just more of a, more of a kind of a peek behind the curtains of stuff we kind of knew. Right. What already uh, transpired. So. And I, I didn't think, I know uh, I listened to the Dinner for Geeks uh, comments on it, and, and Rifen had mentioned that he thought it, it dragged a little, that he, he, was, he couldn't manage to stay awake. And I, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't feel that it dragged. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, that's... I, yeah, I said I may have been tired the first time I watched it, but I got onto the nods the first time I watched it. And Beth just, she decided to go to sleep the first time she watched it. <laughs> Now, the second time she watched it, um, no, she got really, really involved. And, you know, like everybody, she, you know, started crying when the, uh, the what's the, the, the droid's name? Alan uh, Tudyk's character. Oh, uh, when, uh, when, when TKSO or whatever. Something. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah, again, I yeah, can't tell anybody's she, name. Yeah, she got, yeah, she teared up. And at, at that point for the rest of the movie is everyone started going down because she had really, really was getting into it and really getting involved in the characters. So, you know, yeah, definitely the, the last act is, is, is really some fine, fine theater there. Well, and, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, that one of my biggest problems I had with The Force Awakens was uh, one, I thought the fan service and it was a little, little obvious. And there is fan service in uh, Rogue One. I think it's a little more subtle. Force Awakens, to me, I didn't respond. I mean, I responded well to Kylo Ren up until he took off his mask. And mainly it had to do with just his uh, his voice. I was really just uh, really enamored with the way his they modulated his voice and the way and his just his cadence and the way he spoke. I really liked that. And after well, the, course, way, he, the, the way he spoke was interesting. What, what I what I've commented about this before, though is that Kylo Ren's voice to me always sounded like that androgynous character's voice you heard on Next Generation or in any movie where they had someone being possessed yeah, and you got that really weird androgynous voice. That's what Kylo Ren's voice sounded like to me. So it, it, I was I was almost laughing at it because to me, Kylo Ren was was that, that emo wannabe kid that wants everybody to think of him in one way. So he's trying to present this image to everybody. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of misses the mark a little bit. Right, right. He, and, and, he, and you don't see that until he kind of loses control and he starts, you know, he takes a mask off and he kind of starts having his little tantrums. That before yeah. that, he is a little more, he is a little more control of what he's doing and he's a little more uh, unemotional. So, uh, what was my point? Oh, and that the two leads, I, 
I responded, and then and the no fans are gonna probably tell me I'm stupid for this, but I responded more to uh, who's the female in Rogue One, the main Jin or so. Jin. Yeah. yeah. To her than I did to Ray, and it's I don't know what it is about it's either the actress or it's the way she portrayed it, or it's there's something about her that just doesn't sit well with me. And I know she's a strong female character, and that's great, but she, it was. Maybe her, everything kind of came too easy for her. You know, she. I know you're, she's. You're, talk, you're talking about Ray. About Ray, right? She seemed to be able to tap into the force quicker than anybody else we've seen, and maybe that's because she's more force sensitive. You know, I don't know, but something in that just something that just didn't sit well with me. And mm-hmm. I thought the humor in, I thought there was some really bad humor in The Force Awakens that was not organic to the characters. And I thought the humor that we did, obviously the Rogue One is a little darker, but the humor in that film, I thought, was more organic to the characters and not written as a joke. And I think a lot of that comes from, in The Force Awakens, it comes from John Boyega, his Mm -hmm. character. Some of his jokes are, to me, written as jokes, not something funny a character would say. I mean, think of the kind of the kind of... Think of the kind of dialogue that, in the original Star Wars and Empire, that Han Solo delivers. A lot of the funny stuff he says, that's because that comes from his character. That's just who he is. And some of the stuff that was in Force Awakens, I thought, was written more as, oh, this is a joke, more of a punchline type humor. So that that didn't sit well with me. But. Yeah, no, and I understand it. Now, in, in regards to Ray and the Force, now I, I talked about this on Mindless Dribble when we did our little Nature of the Force podcast. Mm-hmm. But... The, the thing that, that struck me about, and, and it really resonated in, in something in me as far as how the Force works, because, you know, all along we thought there was, okay, there's the Jedi and there's the Sith and that's the Force. And then we start finding out they're not the only ones. And there's other disciplines out there. There are other ways of using the Force beyond what the Jedi and the Sith did. And then it got me to thinking, you know, what was really wrong with the Jedi? Because there was an awful lot wrong with the Jedi when you really think about it in the end. You know, they take these kids away from their families because they're force sensitive and it's almost like an interment, you know, to, be, to, to become these soldiers. I mean, it's just as bad as, you know, the clone army or how the First Order is, you know, getting all of their soldiers. Which, yeah. You know, basically they rip them from their families. Yeah, I can see they, a parallel there. Okay, so... You know, and then the, the the Jedi way of using the Force is also very regimented. It's okay. Here are the Force powers that you use. You know, you can move things with your mind. You can suggest things to the weak-minded. You can, you know, you can jump. You can go fast. You can, you know, deflect all the that. You can sense where things are coming from. You can basically do some mind stuff. You know, read. You know, tell things in mind and read things in the mind a little bit. But that's it. You don't short. You don't shoot lightning from your hands. The dark side does that. You don't. You know. There's. Uh, you don't force choke someone. But apparently Luke did. Um, you know. They. 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 There was a regiment of what they could and couldn't do. Disciplines of what they could, and couldn't do. And then when we saw Kylo Ren stop that laser bolt at the beginning of the Force Awakens, that shows you. Okay, we never saw that. Vader never did that. Vader just deflected him. What else can they do? And do, is being part of a discipline the way that the Force is really meant to be done? Well, I, th- but, I would think the Jedi would say that it, without the discipline, 
you might be consumed by the power that you were, you know, and that leads to the dark side. That you know, you're you're that's, you're not keeping that power in check, and then it's gonna it's gonna. Well, again, that's what they say. They say that power that you know that that all these things lead to the dark side. I think what they're saying is that all leads to the dark side on people that have a propensity to go to the dark side. People that are overly emotional have strong attachments, like Anakin. You know that people that that can be that way. There are people that grow up to be dispassionate their entire lives. Yeah, and they don't they don't suffer the anger and fear and all that stuff that you know some a, a dark Jedi would suffer. They, they would never have the propensity to become a dark Jedi. They might be able to use dark force powers, but it doesn't consume. Well, them. and maybe it's more like uh, it's all part of the the lie that the Jedi tell you, so that they can can maintain the control that they do. Well, and they may be trying to. Look at I'll I'll draw you two parallels. Look at uh, X Men Three when Professor Xavier puts blocks on Jean Grey because he knows that how powerful she is, but that she can't if she ever obtains that power or uses it or harnesses it, then it's going to be a disaster. Or look at uh, one of your favorite movies, Akira. You know, look what happened mm-hmm. when when they tapped into that uh, level of power and you know they destroyed a city. So maybe it's it's possible that you can obtain higher powers, but it's too dangerous. So they're kind of being the force cops and saying, well, yeah, we're not going to let you. We, it's too big a risk to te- right. teach these things. Right. But in Ray's case, she's had no training at all, at least as far as we know. Yeah. She's had she's had no training in it. And therefore, what she does is purely from instinct. And what is force about when when. Qui-Gon was telling young Anakin what to do. He says, follow your instincts. You know, do what feels right in the moment. Be in the moment. And that's all Rey is doing is she's being in the moment and letting the Force guide her. And what the Jedi train, when they train them, is control the Force. You know, make the Force work for you in the way that, you know, that the Jedi do. And maybe that's not what the Force wants. Maybe that's why the Force allowed things to go down in the original uh, prequel trilogy let the jedi basically be overrun and destroyed that's possible and it may make absolute logic sense but i mean as well just this is just me but from a storytelling point i would like to have seen her struggle just a little bit more with you know it's certainly luke could not have gone up against vader Already, really force user from in Star Wars. I mean, he was barely mm-hmm. able to deflect the uh, the little training globe, but yeah. he obviously he tapped into it enough that he could destroy the Death Star. But then only oh. through you know training with Yoda was he able to to barely hold his own. Okay, when, now you just brought up a real interesting facet to all of this, and it's going to tie into uh, a little bit of discussion that we can have here today on our our book. The beauty of Rey is the fact that she is unfettered by years of indoctrination into anything one way or the other on the force all right mm-hmm. she hasn't had anybody telling her it's this way or it's that way or or whatever so w- with her she's completely open-minded to it and therefore has a full grasp of it is be able to use it to its fullest extent as soon as she starts learning from whatever person is going to sit there and tell her stuff and she starts seeing the fallacies and the lies and whatever that is when she's going to start doubting it. That is when she's going to really have to start making the efforts because it's going to become hard. So you're and saying she you're saying she she benefits from the fact that nobody has told her she can't do something. Right. 
Well, okay, here, here's a good example. Um, and this isn't related to our book today, but uh, Fantastic Four 249 and 250. Gladiator. Gladiator. Gladiator's got psionic powers. It makes him look like he has Superman's powers, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened the moment that they made him doubt his powers? His power slips. Yeah, he's he weakened. Out. Right. The moment that uh, you know someone strong with the Force has a doubt about the Force, they're not going to be able to control it as well. You can see that, but I think you could say that of any, um, you know, take an athlete if they start doubting their. Mm-hmm. They they lose their confidence. They're not going to perform at the level they need to. So, right, I don't know. Right. It's just, it's just yeah, interesting I, I, to see what uh, what's going to happen with with what Luke is going to try to teach her in the next film. It, it's funny because uh, Michael Bailey and uh, golly, who was it? I don't remember. Uh, we're having a discussion about legends and the Superman tie-in issues where Superman went to Apocalypse. And if you remember in those in those issues. Uh, Superman gets amnesia mm-hmm. and he never gets full control of his powers while he has amnesia. And then dark side, you know, kind of inputs a strong lie about his history, about who Superman really is on apocalypse, the son of dark side and all that. Yeah. And it's an incredibly strong lie. And so he buys into it and therefore he has his full array of powers back. But once um, Orion uses a mother box on him, if I remember right, allows him to see the truth. You know, of course, he goes back to who he was. But they've always shown Superman as being one of those where if he's got any doubts or if he's confused to a strong point, his powers don't work as well as when he is of a clear mind. You could almost say, well, there's there's a point I just thought of, but I'll bring it up because it ties into the book. We'll bring it up when we talk about the book. Okay, so what are we going to do today, Brian? Uh, you were going to tell us about Superman number one, the first issue after the Man of Steel series that Byrne did. So why are we doing that? Uh, I think we did it because this is the first issue or this is the first month. First all year long, but this is the first first. Uh, and it's not actually the first first because we know that, that super, uh, John Byrne did Man of Steel number one you know, before this. But this is the first issue of Superman volume two. Mm-hmm. Uh, first issue of Superman proper. Yeah, and there are and, some firsts in this book. We'll bring up. Yes, that that is true. So, it, like you know, just like we said, we're covering Superman Volume Two, Number One. And uh, do you want me to go ahead and get into it now, or do you want to take a little break? And uh, uh, well, let's take a break. Along? We'll take a break as uh, we need to drop some more promos in, and uh, we'll come back and you can give us a rundown on uh, issue number one. All right. Well, after these messages, we'll be right <laughs> back. Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's dinner for geeks. 
Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. Okay, so our book today is Superman Volume 2, Number 1. Uh, cover date January 1987. It went on sale October 9th of 1986. Had a cover price of 75 cents and a page count of 32. The uh, credits, well, the cover credits are John L. Byrne. No inker, nothing. John L. Byrne. All this information, of course, comes from Mike's Amazing World. And, uh, you know, there's so much information out there that's useful to you if you need to do research on any comic books. I'd, uh, I'd take a look out there if I were you. The title of our story today is Heart of Stone. The actual number of pages in the story is 23. And, and yeah, you better get at least 23 pages for 75 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Writer and penciler is John L. Byrne. Inker is Terry Austin. Letter is John Costanza. And the colorist is Thomas J. Zuko. Now, the, of course, the uh, thing about this is that it is the, you know, the first story of the Superman series, but it definitely takes place uh, later than when Superman was originally, you know, has originally appeared. We know from Man of Steel that, uh, at least in, in Man of Steel series, they showed Superman over the course of several years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly how long in, in years that it was supposed to be, if it was like supposed to be five years or seven years from his original appearance. But I know that this story takes place three months after Man of Steel number six. And in it, we get to see not just, you know, the, the, the characters like Superman and Lois Lane. Uh, we also get to see Metallo's first appearance in the uh, post-crisis age and Emmett Vale. Uh, we get to see him, though his name is never mentioned. Um, well, actually, that's not his first appearance, is it? Because he was showed up in um, in uh, Man of Steel number one. And Dr. Vale? Emmett Vale, yeah, he he actually shows up very in uh, the last page of Man of Steel number one when Superman is flying off, and you know for the first time he's flying off from the Kent's farm. You see the the Kent's house and the Kent standing outside as he's flying off, and you see the barn, and there's a figure in shadow in the barn that if you're not paying attention to the frame, you probably wouldn't notice it. And there are a bunch of people right now pulling out their Man of Steel number one <laughs> to look at this to go, oh my god, I never noticed that. But yeah, there's a figure in shadow there. Well, that ties in. What, what that ties in with what, what the backstory in, in this issue? Yeah, because uh, in uh, later issues of Man of Steel, I think it was issue six, Superman goes back to look at the rocket, and the rocket is no longer there. Now, uh, people said this was also the first appearance of Kryptonite, but that's not true because we saw Kryptonite in Man of Steel number one uh, when it attached to the rocket, right. and also when Clark lifted up the thing to expose the rocket. The kryptonite in there made him feel weak. But this is the first time it's given a name, I believe. Uh, actually, I'd, yeah, yeah, this is the first time it is given a name. Okay, so this book comes out in January of 1987. So let's talk about what came out that month. Uh, we had Action Comics number 584. That's with the Teen Titans. Superman, uh, the action, of course, at this point, uh, for the next, what, seven issues, was teaming up Superman, uh, sorry, 17 issues, was teaming up Superman with... Uh, various characters in the the DC universe, universe. much like like Marvel yeah, Team universe. Up or Brave Brave and D- Bold or DC Comics presents. Yeah, and uh, so you you had that, and that's where uh, Superman was teaming up with the Teen Titans, and it was called Squatter. Uh, an issue of Doomsday Squad, which was reprints of Doomsday Plus One, but these were gorgeous reprints. They were remastered and recolored, and uh, if, if you get if you can get your hands on those, they are a, a superior view. 
uh, reprint of the Doomsday Plus One comics. And also, it's got the first appearance of uh, Yojimbo in one of the issues, I believe. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, Legends number three, which was the uh, the first appearance of the Suicide Squad, I believe, uh, also came out that month. And um, trying to remember, there was something else in there. Yeah, that 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 actual book has really risen in value lately, uh, thanks to the Suicide Squad movie coming out. Nice. Have to pull mine out and yeah, have it appraised. Mar- now, Marvel Tales 195, uh, now that's a reprint of Marvel Team Up 61, a Spider-Man and the Human Torch taken on the Super Scroll. Then we had this issue, Superman number one, and Ohatmu number 14. That was uh, volume two. So, yeah, John, you know, the thing is, is the only things that John really worked on, John Byrne worked on this month, would be Superman, Action, and Legends. I say the only things, but man, that's a lot. That, that's, yeah, artists today can't do that. Yeah, because now the thing is, is, each one of them, he only penciled them. He did not ink them. And he did write action and he wrote Superman. But Legends, of course, was uh, uh, Len Wein and John Ostrander. But, that's, still, uh, that's still got some beautiful art in it. Yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is that he will sit there and say that he was an art robot on books like that, where, you know, he gets all the information from everybody else and has virtually no input on the plot. Though we do kind of get the idea that he had a little bit more hand in legends than he might say, especially when it comes to Guy Gardner's treatment of that um, one villain that looked an awful lot like Jim Shooter in a Starbrand costume. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's, I think that's, I think he's done himself a disservice and to, to a certain extent other artists, because I mean, that's implying that, that any artist that doesn't, that doesn't, it's just, takes the idea or the breakdown from the writer and draws it and then they script it that they're just being an art robot. But in there, I mean, I don't, I don't think a writer, I don't know how detailed they are when they write their, their synopsis. It may just be, you know, Oh, here, this panel Superman gets into a fight. That artist is still taking it upon himself to decide how that story is going to be told. So they, they do have, in a way they are still crafting that story. Yeah. Even though they're not necessarily coming up, maybe the idea is really not writing the dialogue. So, that just may be his his take on it because he's he maybe he feels more control when he's when he's writing it or at least a co plotter. Yeah. Now the other thing I wanted to mention here was Ohatmu, of course, was was out at this time, and this was um, issue fourteen, which is Unicorn to Wolverine. But every issue of Ohatmu, the second um, the second series, or what they called the deluxe edition, he did the covers. Uh, he did yeah the covers, which all of course come together to make a large poster. But, I mean, the thing is, 80% of the characters in there, when they had extra shots of them, uh, if they had Byrne doing any work on those characters, they used Byrne's work. It was it, – the, the, that book was put together at a time where they, uh, you know, embraced Byrne's work and uh, utilized it, you know, hot move as much as they could. Well, he was super – I mean, I would say this is probably – he's at the top of his game here. You know, he's just leaving Fantastic mm-hmm. Four and he's gone over to DC to do Superman and – uh, well, this this was definitely at a time where not only you know of course he was doing this and he was uh, trying to work within the framework of what DC was doing with him. They weren't giving him everything that he wanted, and they kept changing things on him a little bit at a time, which is why he left within two years. Yeah, you know. But at at the same time, he was changing in the way that he was doing a lot of things. The the way that he was doing his pencils 
was even changing so much that anchors were having a hard time. That you know, I mean, he had to get really, really good anchors to work on his stuff because he changed the way he did his line work a little bit. But not even just that. If you remember, he was doing a lot of the experimental work around this time. You know, when you look at Fantastic Four and you look at Superman, and yeah. even after that, the Hulk, he was trying to do split screen work and parallel stories. We saw this in Legends, but I think that was more for the the ridiculous, uh, numerous recaps they kept throwing at us in there, especially of Captain Marvel making Macroman blow up, <laughs> which didn't really happen, you know, when you think about it. But, you know, there was there was definitely, uh, this was at a time when he was getting a little bit more um, Walden-esque, I'd say, or, you know, he was feeling his own oats in, in his mind as a creator and was, was kind of throwing that out there in his work, trying to see what uh, what everybody would resonate with. Well, that, that, that's always, I mean, every, every artist is going to grow. They're not going to be, I mean, there are some artists that are a little static. They do the same stuff. You know, it's good work, but did the same stuff, you know, day in, day out. And he's, as you said, he was playing with, with you know, panel layout and borders. And, you know, some of this stuff is a little more what they would learn, later term widescreen kind of comics. And, mm-hmm. Well, he was also playing with literary themes too, because because you'll see that it started in Fantastic Four, in his later books where he starts he'd throw in the literary quote from one book or another. Oh yeah, yeah, he does and, that a lot. and have it to be relevant to a story. He doesn't do that so much, you know, later days, and he hasn't been doing that in Star Trek. Of course, Star mm. Trek is a, liter- a literary device in its own right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, uh, but you know that's just you know comments on on the things at that time. I guess I should go ahead and get into the synopsis. Sure. Uh, though I'm pretty sure everybody that is listening right now has read this book at least 20 times. Yeah, I, I see you nodding there. Anyway, <clears throat> our synopsis goes like this. First page of our story shows the man of tomorrow smashing through a wall, calling out real playful like to see if anyone is there. You know, come out, come out wherever you are. I don't know why I do that with the Robert De Niro voice, but I do. Anyway, as Superman walks through what turns out to be an empty lab- laboratory, he realizes that no one has been there for weeks. His thoughts go into the events that brought him to the site. As he travels through the facility, he begins to see that the lab, that this is a lab that studies him. He soon comes upon a room with a corpse. It is the man he's been looking for, the one who took his kryptonite, that, that took his Kryptonian spaceship, per Man of Steel number six. He also finds a metal vat of acid containing enough remains for Superman to realize it was human in there, a human remains. He quickly does a Christopher Reeve impression and drills straight down through the ground <laughs> and ignoring his duties as a duly deputized special operative of the Metropolis Police Force. He quickly uproots the whole facility and places it in a Lagrange point between the Earth and the Moon, where the gravities of Earth and the Moon combine to create an area of stability. It'll hang there forever, he says. And the vacuum of space will preserve everything in it for him to examine later. Superman then flies down to Earth and changes to Clark Kent just in time to have what I can only call Paul, a George Lucas scripted moment of conversation between the, a man and woman as Clark meets Lois for a jogging date. Fortunately for us, the conversation gets interrupted by an automatic alarm for nearby a bank that is supposed to be closed as it is Sundays being robbed. As Lois and Clark go to investigate, they meet what looks like a member of the World Wrestling Federation in the bank. <laughs> he grabs Lois by the hand and knocks Clark over the teller wall. He then introduce, introduces himself as Metallo. And we see a small flash of his origin. Just as Metallo threatens Lois, Superman shows up to save the day. Superman is in for a surprise, though, as, he, as the hit from Metallo throws him through the wall 
of the bank and out into the street right into a moving truck. And I don't mean that the truck is moving. I mean it is a moving truck like beacons. <laughs> I kept fighting with that sentence. Superman flies back to the bank to take Metallo on again and flies Metallo right through a wall. Lois takes his time to look for Clark and finds a hole in the floor where Clark should have landed. She chalks up to Clark's amazing luck and then turns her attention back to the fight only to see Metallo getting better of Superman. As Superman tries to talk to Metallo to find out who he is, we see more of Metallo's origin story. In the origin, it becomes apparent that Metallo, at least, has metal limbs, as that is the first thing he notices while the scientist, who we later find out is Emmett Vale, tells Metallo that he was built to kill Superman, that he is more powerful than Superman. Back to the story, though, Metallo refuses to answer Superman's questions as his eyes glow green as he tells Superman it is now time to die. Just then, the police come in and shoot Metallo, leaving him slumped against the wall, apparently dead. Lois checks on Superman, who tells her he's starting to feel better, and he cannot hear a heartbeat from Metallo. Metallo gets up, though, and threatens again to kill Superman. Once again, we go back to Metallo's origin, and the scientist tells Metallo that kryptonite can kill Superman. Uh, he then tells Metallo the basics of Superman's origins, though he thinks the Kryptonians are more like the ones in Man of Steel, and Superman is an invader bent on taking over the planet. Seriously, I thought Alex Jones was going to show up and start spouting all sorts of conspiracy theory stuff here. <laughs> or at least that guy from the, uh, it's aliens memes, you know? Uh, <laughs> the scientist replaces the uranium core with kryptonite, provides Metallo's, uh with plastics gloves to cover his robot hands, and Metallo returns the kindness by snapping the scientist's neck. Meanwhile, back in the story, uh, present Metallo really starts to mop up the floor of Superman. It is at this time that Metallo reveals that he knows that Superman is an alien, loud enough that Lois can hear, much to her surprise. Now we get our first peek at LexCorp Tower and the man himself, Lex Luthor. One of his female assistants, Pearl, informs Lex that Metallo is about to kill Superman. Lex states that only he gets that pleasure. We go back to the bank just in time to see the police getting Lois to safety as the building collapses on Superman and Metallo. Lois stands there afraid, near grieving as Metallo, stripped of his human appearing skin, emerges with the tatters of Superman's cape in his hand. But just as he claims to have beaten Superman, a hand shoots up out of the rubble to grab his metallic leg. Superman climbs up Metallo, still fighting though he's dying. Metallo then opens his chest plate to reveal the kryptonite heart, powering his robotic body. Superman back falls back to the ground as the unshielded kryptonite radiation pelts him. Metallo stands over the dying Superman, gloating, monologuing, talking about being Leonardo DiCaprio a good 11 years before Titanic, when he's <laughs> somehow removed from the scene by some unseen force from above. Superman sits alone in the rubble. He asks Lois what happened, but even though she was there, all she saw was a big black shadow, then Metallo was gone. Superman then confirms for Lois that he is indeed an alien and tells her he only found out very recently himself. He also says he's worried because he has a good idea about who now has the kryptonite. The end. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, it's like uh, there is there is things that happened in that story that just, you know, he, he yells out, I'm king of the world. That's what made me think about <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. So I had to throw that in there. But uh, this is one of those stories that, you know, as I was sitting there writing the synopsis, you know, different things became apparent that I didn't think about, you know, in the past. Uh, you know, the monologuing and all that, of course, is uh, a big part of that. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, the the Emmett Vale just, yeah, again, he sounded like one of those conspiracy theory nuts. Yeah, yeah well, he was. He, he was. And he, yeah, he was absolutely <laughs> a conspiracy nut. 
<laughs> I I thought but, from reading uh, this because uh, I hadn't read it in so long that I'd forgotten how exposition heavy uh, books of this era are, which I kind of miss. But it's just mm-hmm. so much uh, inner. Uh, you know, one you get you know stuff you don't see anymore. They've got so much thought bubbles of Superman just just basically for our benefit discussing the plot and what he's been doing. Yeah, you know, there was one other thing that I recall now. It just it just popped up in my head that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Is that um, not too long after this, a series came out. A third-party company put out a Terminator series. Mm-hmm. It was a Dark Horse, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was Top Cow. Uh, because uh, they had several series that came out. There was Terminator series. There was Terminator Burning Earth, which is Alex Ross's first work. Uh, in comics, and um, but in the in the Terminator proper series that they had, um, they had aped several of the uh, the windows in 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 this particular uh, issue. When uh, Metallo's looking up as Luther's people are are stealing him, and when he slumped against the wall after the police have shot him, those two scenes were actually ripped right out of here and and. Uh, Put in there. I don't know if it was an homage or a rip or what I would say. It's an, you you know, posted homage, that, yeah. You posted that yeah, recently, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I did that quite a while ago, but I've forgotten about that. Hey, if you can rip somebody off, rip off the best. Anyway, so um, what what are your thoughts overall, though? I mean, again, you know, this is Terry Austin on John Byrne on Superman. This is the first time we get to see that. Yeah, it's kind of the dream team. I th- I thought the artwork was was pretty top notch. I didn't really have. Uh, any problems with it? It's a little. Uh, I'd read that some people think his his inks look a little scratchy. I, I personally don't yeah. see that. I think they look a little. They could have done with a little little more heavy line work. It's the light work is a little light, but I don't. I don't. I don't. Ha- I don't see anything glaringly uh, that I don't like or doesn't look burn like. I mean, the only the only really scratchy part I'm kind of jumping ahead here that I see is what I would call scratchy uh, on page 14 when you've got that, uh, that nice backstory of Metallo intercut with Superman asking him, you know, it's, it's actually nicely done where he's asking why and you get a cut back to uh veil explaining something. And then Superman is like, you know, I don't know who, who are you? And then it cuts back and forth. Superman's face there looks a little, not quite as clean as burn, but I think that's because he is supposed to look kind of beat up and, you know, because he's just, you know, Metallo was just kind of pounded the, the crap out of him. So he looks a little uh, worse for wear. And I think it's, that's that's on purpose. But that's the only thing I see that looks, that I would call scratchy. Yeah, and, and it's just getting into the closeness of it and all that. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't I didn't th- see it as scratchy myself. What I did, what it did surprise me, and especially when you look at the first two pages, is that it does not in any way except for the physical figures look like uh, their X-Men work. Mm-mm. You know, you can tell that just that both their styles as artists, Burns and Austin's has changed enough over the years. And it's been what, five years, four years since basically since they've worked together. Yeah. probably. But their yeah, style, five, their, both years. their styles have changed enough that you, you can definitely see the dis- dis- difference here. Yeah, and you know, there's one thing I, you know, that about, Burns' early Superman, Man of Steel, and the first two years that he worked on the series, is that Superman is so huge, so wide-chested, you know, just this – he's such a, an imposing figure. And in his later 
Superman work, whether it was in Action Comics or Justice League or uh, even Generations. His Superman never has quite the stature that this guy has here. I wonder why that is. I've never put that together. never noticed that. But I wonder why he would alter him and not well, make also, him as beefy. Yeah, and, and, and he always – he got away from the hairstyle that he's done here with Superman where it's all one big wave. Mm-hmm. And, and he went more back to the spit curl with the later iterations as well. Um. But I, I always preferred this this version of Superman. Of course, uh, he revolutionized you know capes uh, when when he took over Superman. You know, every time that he had the cape, he was doing something with it that you're like, yeah, that's exactly what a cape would do. Where everybody else just had the cape lay flat, you know. Yeah, with Bernard, the cape always looks like it's in motion. Something is. It's a character unto itself. Yeah, in Burns, and it's yeah. always. <laughs> I made note that when the uh, Metello, well, when he's at the end when he's pulling himself out of the rubble, it's like the, ah, the, the, the burn ripped Cape. Cause he was always, you know, that was his, his thing that he wanted to, to kind of drive home that, well, whatever this bioelectrical aura that he's got that protects himself doesn't extend to his Cape. So his Cape is always getting ripped. Yeah. It's now like, let's, let's go, let's go back to the cover though. Yeah. Now the cover of course has got a nice sheen to it, which I really like. Uh, now I'm looking at a digital copy here. Um, uh, me too. Yeah, I'm looking at the. But it's it's not the best scan because it seems to have yellowed before they uh, they did it. But that of course goes back to the printing that was going on at the time. This isn't from some sort of omnibus or anything. This is. Well, I'm looking at it from um, a, a, a recolored. So mine's. I'm not looking at an actual scan of an actual page. Mine's yeah. been recolored and. I bet yours is beautiful. It looks nice. Now, it is really now. As I understand it, and I haven't looked for them ever. But as I understand it, a lot of times when Byrne would draw rubble, he would throw a Barney in there somewhere. Now I saw it in What the because he made it really, really obvious. But <laughs> I've never uh, looked for I never looked for it. But it's it's kind of looking for, it's like looking for the mouse on the Jonathan Winter cottages. Are you familiar with those? Mm. They're they're uh, these little cottages you can go to like Dillard's or some you know major department stores, and they've got like these decoration area next next to the uh, china and silverware. And there are these little houses, and you, you can create whole villages, tableaus and whatnot, if you like. And these things are really, really expensive, anywhere from seventy-five to four hundred to five hundred dollars. Kind of like the Christmas uh, buildings you can yeah, buy and display. But these are, but these are these are sold year-round, and the for the longest time, and I don't know if they still do it because it's been many, many years. Um, they would have a mouse somewhere on the whole on the tableau of the one that you bought so like you get the lighthouse you look down you see a little sidewalk that goes around it hey there's a little mouse there (laughs) and you know different things and so i understand that that uh, burn would draw barney in there for a while and he gave up on doing that after a while i don't know when but if any of you guys know about that uh, or have seen it you know if there if there's like a web list that compiles where he did that i'd really like to know about that yeah that's 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 news to me myself yeah Anyway, so looking at the cover, though, of course, you've got the the beautiful um, rubble there and that uh, Terminator-esque Metallo standing above Superman. And no. that's that's a lot more, you know, a different type of robotic than what we do see on the inside. But I kind of really like it. Yeah, he looks more he looks more robotic on the cover than he it doesn't. He doesn't look like something that could just be covered up with some plastic skin and passes a human he yeah. looks a little more and i do love the way he's it's almost like he's done it with a uh, almost with a brush that effect of the the green radiating out 
and kind of encompassing yeah. the, the the silhouette of the of his of the the robot is nice, and it's it's kind of it's, it's interesting to see in Super in Man of Steel, Superman never really, if I'm trying to remember this correctly, he never really met defeat. He was he pretty came much came out on top in most cases, and then in this first issue, Byrne basically knocks him down a couple pegs. He basically you know gets his uh, uh his head handed to him, and to the point where. If Mattel hadn't been taken and been abducted, Superman might have died. Yeah, well, and again, you you get this little tease on the on the the cover here. It's your first issue, Superman, and it could be your last. Yeah. Does that remind you of anything? It, it, it um, makes it, it harkens me back to like uh, Welcome to the X Men, Kitty Bride, Kitty oh, yeah. Pride. Hope you survive the experience. And that, of course, has been aped on many many books. But it, it made me think of that. It was just kind of like a, a little play on that. A little haha, I'm over at DC, but I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I think it it it, uh, and I don't know if this is. You could probably correct me on this. Whose idea was it when they brought when they enticed Byrne to come over and do uh, Superman? to kind of depower him. Was that Burns' idea? Was that already in the works? You know, that that's a really good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know that that when they gave when he finally came up with everything as it was, it made sense to depower him. Yeah. Uh, as as well as, you know, remove all the barnacles. But I can see there were so many things that that I think they went back and forth on. Because, you know, I mean obviously Superman re- redoing Superman's origin had far-reaching effects on the DC universe, and, and very intensely so on the the uh, Legion of Superheroes, um, because you know with there not being a Superboy anymore, it kind of screws up the entire Legion origin because yeah. this Legion's origin was tied into Superboy, and then Superboy was a member for so so long. I remember that really bugging me because it invalidated for me one of my greatest comic book series to that point was the Great Darkness Saga with the Legion of Superheroes. Had you ever read that? I've I've never read issue one of uh, Legion. I haven't read. Only thing I only experience I have with him is when he brought them into this book proper with the uh, you know his alternate universe Superboy and Crypto and that storyline. I've got a trade paperback of the Great Darkness Saga. I'm gonna to have to lend to you, or I'll I'll, I'll shoot you whatever. Anyway, I'll I'll find a way to get that to you. Okay. The artwork, the artwork in itself is gorgeous. It's Keith Giffen before he started going all French on us, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it, it was just uh, an amazing time. And of course, it, that that actually along with Justice League uh, at that time was when when I got introduced to Dark Side. Uh, there was a Justice League crisis on two Earths uh, with the, the Justice Society, where Justice Society and oh, Crisis on New Genesis, where the Justice Society and the Justice League had a team up, and George Perez doing the artwork for most of it. I think George Perez and Rich Buckler, I could be wrong on that, going to New Genesis and then going to Apocalypse to fight Darkseid. And so, like that, and, and, and the Legion Darkness Saga both, to me, seemed to happen right at the same time. And so I got introduced to Darkseid in a big, big way and then to have all that wiped out yeah. by superman's origin it really kind of messed me up and i i i couldn't properly continue reading the legion of superheroes because it was so messed up i've, I've not picked up legion books since then uh I, I did remember picking up the uh the issue where they killed they i mean ultimately you, you know from action that the time trapper created a pocket universe where there was a Superboy, 
And we know, you know, we know what happened there yeah. with the uh, Superboy gets killed and it changes the whole uh, uh, trajectory of that Earth. And that's what affects, you know, into into Superman's uh, ultimate issue there. Was it was it Superman 22 or 23? That was one of those is in your top five. 22, I think. 20, yeah, 22. I, I, you know, and that culminated there. Once they killed that Superboy, I was just kind of like, I don't know. Because it didn't feel like the Legion that I had been reading all these years. And that Legion was a, a Legion that was being run by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen. And Keith Giffen was applying his energies more towards Justice League at this time anyway. Yeah. So, you know, and then trying to be really, really funny with things like Ambush Bug and whatnot. And I enjoy Ambush Bug for what it is, so... That was well, one of those that, things I really enjoyed. That's then. the that's the, the 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 risk they take whenever they do kind of sweeping changes like that. They they run the risk of losing uh, old fans, uh, and I guess of hopes of picking up new fans or fans that like, well, I'll I'll read whatever you know. I don't I'll read anything that they that, that this character's in. But Superman, um, this was my gateway into DC. I don't think I had read any. I don't think I'd read any DC. I mean, I knew of. The characters, but until Byrne jumped to Superman and through Superman, Action Comics, um, Legends, that I think that was my introduction. Well, between that and this was my introduction to Darkseid. That was my gateway to anything DC. So I was kind of discovering those characters for the first time. Really? Yeah, I was. I was a hardcore Marvel guy since I up until you know. If he hadn't, Byrne hasn't hadn't moved over. I might have picked up DC. Now, I mean, I, I, w- I read, you know, the end of Dark Knight and I would pick up a Batman story here and there, which if I thought it was an interesting cover. And I uh, I think I picked up the first Wally West Flash when um, after Crisis. But for the most part, uh, and it's still that way. I don't, I don't know nearly as much about DC as I do uh, Marvel. Yeah, no, I, I can I can see that. Um, now, I. I- you were a Marvel zombie then, up until that point. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot. Of, I knew a lot of those back in the day. Of course, you know, back in the late teens, early twenties, um, I had uh, a roommate who worked at a movie theater, and so I hung out at the movie theater an awful lot. And uh, I had a lot of friends I met up there that we would sit there and just go back and forth, and they would sit there and say, "Okay, Marvel's better than DC," and others would say, "DC's better than Marvel." I didn't care. I just read the books that I wanted to read, whether it was Superman, Batman, Spider Man, X Men. And I, I, I wouldn't can, you know, I wouldn't sit there and try to make it a, a, a competition. I did, you know, realize, of course, that 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 Marvel seemed to be more earthbound, whereas DC was more mythic, at least up until the the crisis era. And, yeah. and once you got into post crisis era, they started getting more marvelized and more grounded in I don't want to say reality, but at least comic book reality. Um, you know, they 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 started giving us more stories a lot like Marvel gave us because guys like John Byrne and Marv Wolfman had moved over, were, had moved over to, to, to Marvel. And then you were getting writers like John Ostrander who had been, you know, he, he wasn't even working in comics before legends as far as I recall, or at least wasn't working in it a whole lot, but you got guys like that going to DC and, and helping them to put out books. And yeah. then you started getting that, 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 that fragmentation of the DC of the uh, green lantern core where it was more than just one idea uh, there. Okay, I'll, I'll let me let me amend what I said because I was actually Green Lantern was my first uh, book that I started buying even for Marvel. So I guess D- Green Lantern was the only, but they weren't interacting a lot with the mainstream uh, DC universe. So I had been reading Green Lantern from, but time uh, John Stewart took over 
until until it ended with Green Lantern Corps. Uh, so that I was reading those steadily because that was the first book I started I, I started picking up. But I never yes, thought DC was better. Uh, it was just I knew Marvel, and it was more of oh, I don't want to necessarily didn't want to invest a lot of time <laughs> in DC yeah. trying to learn everything because I've already I'm doing Marvel, so I pick up you know. Stuff here and there, but I never, I never was never a, oh, Marvel's better. It was just, I just know these characters, so I'm more familiar with them. I'm more comfortable with them. Right. Yeah. Right. But this was at that time where, you know, uh, I mean, for me in 86, I was in college, uh, living on my own, or I had a roommate at this point in time, I think. Actually, no, I started living on my own at this point. And, um, you know, it, it you know, you, you went to the comic book shop and you spent your time there. You didn't just go in, buy what you're getting and go home. Um, you sit there and you walk around, you look at all this stuff. If the people there were really well versed in the material and at this point in time, most of them were uh, in, in the, uh, the regular hole in the wall shops. But there was, we were starting to see comic book shops gain more stature and become nicer around this point in time. Prior to this, they were the hole in the walls that you walk yeah. into. And, and you know, it's like it, you, you'd find a whole bunch of junk over in one section and, you know, there was no order to it. It wasn't merchandised. It was just put out there for you to get, you know, and, you know, if you saw something else, if you found a diamond in the rough there, you were lucky. But, you know, the, the comic book shop started getting uh, better and, 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 you know, handled better. And the, the, the guys that ran the shop were smart enough to know if they could get a cute girl in there to work, she could really improve <laughs> sales. And, and so that was happening a lot too. Right. It wasn't quite this, the, um, uh, the boom of the nineties when suddenly they were popping up everywhere. Yeah. But you had, the thing is, is that if you worked in one of those places, you had to know the material, you were in those conversations that would last for hours. It's like uh, that movie with John Cusack, Fidel. Uh, yeah. But instead of being music snobs, you're comic book snobs. Comic snobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone comes in asking for Archie and you tell them to go to the mall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just saying, do you want to get into this page by page now? Because we've been on the cover here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, looking at page one, of course, this right here is a variation on the, the poster that was put out at the time that uh, Byrne started doing Superman. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? Uh, vaguely, and, but this looks like a typical Byrne pose. Yeah. Now, this one right here is really cool. Of course, there's all sorts of uh, equipment and stuff, uh, a little bit of burn tech here. I'm not sure what that one item is there at the bottom. Do you see that with the round top on it? One of them looks like a – oh, at the very bottom? I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's right there under his fist. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to what that is. It looks pretty cool. I know. Um, but there are a couple cool things in there, you know, and uh, this is just a gorgeous way. And it's, it's kind of like, a, you know, here I am. For, yeah. for all of us comic book fans, I'm here and this is Superman. This is what he's going to look like from now. It's not Kurt Swan. It's not Kurt Schaffenberger. It's not Gil Kane, sadly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is me and here I am. Yeah, it's a nice so entrance. I, yeah, I it's, it's like a, the, yeah. Go ahead. But but yeah, I know I was getting ready to move on to the next page. So go ahead and say, yeah, I mean, yeah, it did. It, it is gorgeous. I kind of. I kind of wish there was more to it, though, but I think that's that's about as much as he could do, you know? Well, unless he wanted to do a two-page splash, which he could. I could easily see him doing that. Yeah. But that might, he would take down, you know, a, you know, as a storyteller, it's gonna, that's, he's going to lose a page of what he's doing. He may feel yeah. he doesn't need that. True, true. Now, as we move on to the second page, I think that the artwork gets destroyed by all of the the thought. 
you know, all this exposition here is is co- you know covering up a lot of the artwork. It's it's pretty pretty Again, heavy. It's, it's yeah, it's side pieces and all that. Um, and I think he probably could have done a little bit more to, to show the transition between being outside where it appears to be sunny, and inside. He could have had light rays coming in around over him or whatever. But that's just again, that's just me. It's gorgeous though. It all is the burn well, tech and everything. But you're right. That top panel, he looks almost like he's glowing instead of the it's the hole behind him. But you're right. right. It does look like he's either on fire or he's got something. He's got kind of some kind of energy glow around him. But uh, yeah. that particular pose evokes a scene from uh, Man of Steel number three, where he came smashing into magpies. magpies. There, when he went into the long stand, he just stands there just like that or similar to that right there. But that's still, it's a gorgeous shot. I always love those. Well, I liked also in this first kind of opening that Superman is, he's, he's solving his problem. He's, he's being a little Batman. He's acting as a detective. He's not just smashing stuff with his fist. He is actually trying to solve this, uh, this mystery that he's been uh, working on for a couple months. And, you know, he's using his brain. He's not just being a brute. Yeah. How does this guy know a, that Superman's got x-ray vision and B that he should leadline everything. That that was one question I, I had. In well, this. he he obviously read that interview by Lois Lane when he couldn't <laughs> when he couldn't look through her uh, her plant she and look at her underwear. Pink. <laughs> pink. I like pink. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, of course, maybe I don't know if Clark Kent did that in his interview, which it doesn't seem like it'd be a smart thing to reveal that kind of information. I wouldn't think so. But uh, somehow, some way, you know, the fact that Superman. Did does have x-ray visions gotten out there. And again, we're talking about, even though this is the first issue of the series proper, sit around for several years. Right, This isn't right. just, you know, the first day that he's gone out there and started saving lives and stuff. And we don't know what's happened in his past that might have, reveal, might have revealed that he was able to see stuff. And maybe it's, maybe the lead lining is more for uh, protecting the, the, the radiation of the krypton, kryptonite. I don't know. Maybe it's just used, or maybe he mm-hmm. just considers, you know, if, if he does have some kind of a scanning device, leads the best material to block anything. Well, it, it seemed to become one of those those tropes in here, you know, and as we go over the Superman uh, series through these first couple of years with all the, the stuff that he did here and in action and adventures of Superman – um, you know, Batman at times lead lines his cowl mm-hmm. and there are other people that make use of lead in one way or another. So it seems like it's a, it's a common fact that Superman's got x-ray vision and that lead prevents him from seeing through it. Maybe they watched that movie with Gene Hackman. You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, again, the, the first page is really, really cool. And yeah, it's really kind of weird how nonchalant he is in walking through this place especially when he dis- discovers that it's about him and uh, ignores the law. What? But this little super, what he called this, the shrine, the first church of Superman. Yeah. Again, a, go- a gorgeous page again, obstructed by a lot of exposition. Uh, but I would love to be able to walk around through this lab. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's having to catch us up. He's trying to, you know, if you hadn't read Man of Steel, he's going to have to catch up on that. And he's having to catch. It's yeah. just it's just the way comics were written back then. I mean, you would not you would not see this um, today. But uh, I like the um, the upper right on page three. It's a nice use of Zipatone on his face when he's looking away from the monitors. Yeah. But I did think that it was a little odd. But he's I mean, he's basically because he this was brought up in 
when they're brought up in Man of Steel, where he where he reveals that he he's always kind of blurring his face so nobody can get a clear shot of him, of his because yep. he's worried that somebody's you know and and, and that's uh, that's what I thought was odd that he's worried that somebody in Smallville would see a, I guess a picture of Superman and go oh well that's that's Clark Kent Clark Kent was he not I guess and then, he was and today. Today, think about it. You sit there, you got Facebook, someone sends you a picture of Superman and it says, would you like to tag Clark Kent? <laughs> or you got Clark Kent there, would you like to tag Superman? Yeah, if he, if mean, he, if he had first time facial recognition, it would, it would pull him up. So I guess he'd never started wearing the glasses until he was actually went to Metropolis. He wasn't wearing glasses as Clark Kent when he was in Smallville. And that's no, what I, he, that, didn't, he, he didn't. I mean, Man is still number one, it wasn't until after he'd been operating for a few years, and when he was operating in those first few years, he was doing it incognito, and he didn't let anybody see him at all. Yeah, he was just but more when he like saved the super plane. Yeah, when he saved the space plane, that was when he was revealed to everybody, and they said, "No, we got to create a, an identity for you." Well, yeah. he doesn't want to be fettered by having to wear a mask or anything when he is Superman. So the best secret identity is to put on a pair of glasses and just yeah. be the, be the little guy. But the, again, his Clark Kent was never the little guy. He was no. more of the George Reeves type Clark Kent, you know, it's more of the hiding he in plain take, sight. Yeah. Cause all he did was basically comb his hair back and he put the, the glasses on. But, and I thought his, uh, when he says he seems to remember that somebody took it, he, he sensed that somebody was taking his picture outside of this hospital when he was leaving. It's like, okay, if you can, that's his uh, spider yeah. sense, I guess. He can tell when he's being photographed. Well, again, remember, this is, the, this is the thing that Byrne was trying to push across back then, is that Superman's powers were not a physical manifestation, is that they were a mental manifestation. He has a small measure of what we'll call his heat vision, a telekinetic Agitated molecules is exactly how it's described in action comics. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be definitely, I don't want to say telepathy, but there, I mean, you could say it's a spider sense or a tremor in the force or whatever, but he feels the things going on around him. Yeah, you could say. It's not just a matter of. Yeah, if his sensors are like dialed up, you know, to daredevil or even higher levels, he would probably, he might be able to tell, one, he could hear someone, you know, he might be able to hear a shutter. On the camera, or he would just be able to hear a heartbeat, or, or you know, yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that. But our and, dead and doctor. Remember that his X-ray. Yeah, but are, when he was talking about his, um, his description of the way his vision works. Well, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll please bear with us, we're experiencing technical difficulties. X-rays out of his eye. The X-rays that help the Earth, and being able to, to use that to see what he sees. Right, he's more like he's Does just tapping in, tapping into uh, the entire electromagnetic spectrum. It's not. It's almost like Jordy's eyes. You know, he's able to see all the wavelengths of everything instead of actually. He's yeah, he's not projecting actual. And it, I don't know if they ever considered that was actually what he was doing. Was actually projecting some type of X-ray. Which, if that's the case, then I guess lead would still block it, wouldn't it? Yeah, but see, like Frank Miller got that wrong in Dark Knight Returns. But then again, that was more of a – I mean you can call it an Elseworld. You can call it pre-crisis. You can call it whatever. But like in Dark Knight Returns, Superman physically bathed the air. And that's what triggered Batman's missiles to go and hit him and, and, and uh, take – you know, hurt him a bit. Yeah. That was, but that was just you know one, one 
one example of where, oh, no, that's not the same as here. But here it was more of a perception. But what I'm saying is that his perceptions are a lot different than what we would imagine them to be. So him perceiving someone taking a picture of him, for me, is not so far-fetched. But I guess others could you know, sit there and say, what, he feel he hears the click? Or he, what, feels the aperture open? I don't know. But he could, yeah, again, he could, I, he could. Well, that that's that's what's always bugged me about when they when they when they show that Batman is is uh, found some way to defeat Superman or he defeats Superman because they they tend to ignore that they think of him just being well he's super strong and yeah he's got super hearing but all his senses are dialed up so much that I don't think you could sneak up on the man I don't think it would be and his reflexes are so fast that I don't think I don't care how well prepared you are. I don't think you'd be able to surprise this guy. That's just my bias against, you know, Batman always being the one that can, you know, kick the snot out of Superman. Yeah, but I, I think that that in being Superman and living in a world where everything is you're that Superman, again, I don't I don't subscribe to everything that, that Niven wrote in, you know, Man of Steel Woman and Kleenex. Yeah. But, you know, in, in being being in a world where he has to hold back on everything, you know, there's a level of concentration that you have to maintain. And so when you're sitting there trying to maintain that level Taking in your surroundings and everything, yeah, I think it's easy to get distracted. So it's got to take a super level of concentration one way or the other. There are ways to to distract Superman so that you can surprise him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like in uh, the film Man of Steel where he's in the classroom and suddenly his kind of X-ray uh, vision kicks and he has to has to. It's a conscious effort to block all of that out. Right. The same way a telepath would. If if you would suddenly you just be inundated with everybody's thoughts, you'd have to learn to shut that out and not just you know have just be flooded with um, your you know your senses would just be overloaded. Yeah. Now you were talking about the corpse. Yeah, yeah. He finds uh, our little dead uh, Doctor Vale, uh, uh-huh. and it's it's is not- this is this the first time we see the inverted uh, or the 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 Superman S. Standing out in, in silhouette. Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember, but I know that, that's something that Byrne does a lot, uh, and it's a nice effect. I like it. I don't. Uh, I don't know if that's the first time we've seen that or not. Well, that's the first time that I can sit there and say, "Yeah, I can see the two fish going back and forth." Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. so easy to see it that way. But yeah, you know, it's incredibly a very dark scene. But you can tell tell that even. Even as dark as it was, they they tried to sit there and throw in the burn tech in the background. Mm-hmm. Now maybe just that my copy looks so dark, but I, I don't know if yours is a little bit more highlighted on that. But uh, I find that interesting. He could easily have just done a back a black background on that. Yeah, to contrast. But uh, no, same thing with the yellow building in the panel above. It's yellow to me, but I'm sure it's like beige or whatever. It's orange to me. Orange, it's or, okay. orange and the, all the the ground is kind of a dark blue, purple. There's a lot of purple in this uh, this building. The scene where he's tunneling around it, the Version building is orange with a purple built a purple roof. Yeah, I don't see it that way. I, I I've got I've got yellow and brown. Hmm. I think the yellow brown would look uh, better. I don't know if there's so much purple in this. Yeah. Because what color is your acid bath? Is it pink? Yeah. yeah. Uh, magenta kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's what mine is. It's kind of I, I was I yeah, but did, so so when he started spinning there, were you thinking Christopher Reeve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was yeah. thinking when he found the acid bath, I was thinking of Breaking Bad. If you yeah. watch, now how does he cut that hair? I mean, he's got like a tapered cut there on the back of his neck, and I mean, I, I can see using the mirror on his face when he shaves, 
like he showed in Man of Steel number four. But how does he cut his hair in the back? I mean, he's get got to get several mirrors and rebound or. Yeah, or he, well, he's, he's got, you know, he's got that's just part of his superpowers. He has super haircut ability. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. And obviously we know his hair grows because he develops the non mullet in Death of Superman. So, yeah. His hair, fingernails, all that grow here. Well, they didn't grow in, in That was one of those those uh, contrivances they did to make things easier on, on storytelling. And then other writers used that as uh, plot devices. Yep. I remember the, the Superboy story where the, the barber thinks he, he can reveal that Clark Kent is Superboy because he's never cut his hair. <laughs> well, that's, maybe he gets, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. gets a cut at home. I don't think that's... Well, he, you know, basically, he he basically made a big deal about Clark Kent won a raffle for a free haircut, <laughs> you know, and and they wanted to make a big deal out of it. So come on, Clark, come on down for the free haircut. Everybody's coming to watch you get your haircut. And you know, they went through several things. Scissors broke trying to cut his hair the one time, and uh, Clark made the the soap or a shaving cream dispenser explode and get soap everywhere. And he was complaining he had soap in his eyes, so he got to leave that time. Ultimately, he had pressed down a, a, a bald skull cap on him and put a wig over that. So when the guy started cutting his hair, he realized, oh, my gosh, you're bald. Yes, that's my secret. You know, and please keep it. Don't tell anyone. Oh, I thought you were Superboy this whole time. That was a, that's a clever way to get out of it. Very clever way. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there were so many stories back then where it was – one way or another, everybody's going to prove that it was like everybody knew, but they just didn't have the proof. One guy gets him on a lie detector and, you know, they're trying to prove that he's Superboy. And, and he's sitting there thinking to himself, well, I've just decided I'm Superman now, so I can't, it wouldn't be a lie. No, I am not Superboy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, you know, the, the, the story contrivances back then, again, it was for a different crowd. It was for a different age. Well, the scene where he's taking the lab up into space Burn takes a goes to a lot of uh, trouble to explain, and I noticed he did this in the first kind of couple issues of, uh, of this. That of he tries to make it theoretically possible. You know, it's not just oh, I've dug, I've dug, you know, I dug around underneath this. He goes to the trouble to say, well, I fused the, um, you know, the silicate in the base to make it like a, basically a really hard steel-like uh, structure, right. so that that's going to support itself. And then again, he uh, what you brought up earlier about his powers being more. Uh, psionic that and he, he comments on that when he's lifting it he says it seems to be l- l- way less when he's pushing right. stuff so when he's not just physically so obviously he has some and he does have some kind of physical super it's strength like a, he, it's yeah. not just not not everything is psionic but when like right. said, when he's flying suddenly that takes over and he's kind of pushing it more than he is physically picking it up well you remember the um during the whole Death of Superman saga, when they brought in Superboy, mm-hmm. and His he had that tactile telekinesis. telekinesis power, yeah, that's basically what what he's working with here. It's a tactile telekinesis. He's touching it, therefore he can control it with his mind, lift it, and whatever. Right. It's just it's just it's just aiding him. Yeah, you know he sees, but he's not putting the two and together in all of that. (laughs) 
Okay, so back to our back, back to our book. We were talking about Superman's powers again, and his flying. Uh, you know how he was flying that uh, that track to land that he pulled up from the ground. And uh, I was making the, the comparison to the Superboy character after the death of Superman, and how he had a tactile form of telekinesis, and this is just a variation of it, yeah. where he's using it to fly the object with his mind rather than with the physical super strength that he also has. Now I can't remember. Does this lab ever come back? I can't remember. Not in anything I read. I would ask Michael Bailey though, because yeah. you know, I mean, uh, I. I kept up with some of the Superman titles after Burn left, you know, with Carrie Gamble and such, but I didn't do it as religiously as, um, I, you know, I did other things. And when they just, when they, you know, put out that they were going to kill Superman, I really lost my interest. And I thought it was a cash grab. I've been told many times since then, no, no, it wasn't a cash grab. It was just the editor is always trying to find something different. And they kept saying, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And then one time the, the powers of B said, yeah, but, you know, it, it, it just kind of soured me on the whole thing. And, again, that was back in the area of, of 95 and 96, and I had gotten married. My focus had to change. Yeah. I had gotten a new career. I was – you know, there was a lot going on. And so I walked away from comic books for the most part, still buying from time to time, still go to the shop and grab this or that. But I, I just wasn't collecting like I was before. And so I didn't have a Superman collection. I missed the entire – Spider-Man clone saga. Yeah. I missed the entire Maximum Carnage. I never, ever saw any of the Cletus Cassidy stuff at all. I, I read Spider-Man up to issue 300. I read some after that, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and I, I you know, kind of checked out uh, sometime in that area. I've got the first couple runs of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, but I saw that for what it was, you know, back then it was just him doing the art and mm-hmm. just the story was so plotting, not great storytelling. Um, but I saw it for what it was and, you know, I collected some of that, but I just kind of, you know, at that point got away from all that. And so I had no idea about, uh, no interest in the clone saga or any of that or maximum carnage, any further, uh, degradation of the whole alien symbiote that they, that they ha- had, you know, the venom thing that was already one of those really weird ones for me as it was. Um, yeah, he already started kind I, of being over overexposed at that point. Right. I mean, I, I kind of liked the, the alien costume symbiote aspect of it, but I did not like the Eddie Brock part of it, you know? And, well, I, I didn't have a problem with, with, with venom as a, as a villain, but then, it became just so, like I said, he was so overexposed. He was just in everything, and he was just, just, uh, just used too much to the point where it diluted what what they had created. You know, use him sparingly. Don't you know? But it was became like Wolverine. You know, the joke that you know you put Wolverine in a book is going to sell. Same with Venom. You know, they're going to put him in a book, and it's going to boost sales. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So anyway, so. What what's your thoughts though on Superman just taking this and putting it up there though? I mean, as far as you and I know, it never does come back into the story. It doesn't come back to figure in any of the stories that we read, and yet here he is. He's just been deputized by by the mayor, uh, where he was deputized within the last couple of years, and he recognizes that, and yet he completely ignores the law. There's a murdered man right there, at least two murdered people, from as far as he can tell. 
in this facility, and yet he never tells anyone. It's it's a little more about self preservation, but uh, I think the the bigger point is that he he said he's tracked this across the country. So this is not a metropolis. This is somewhere else. So his he may if he's just a deputy of uh, metropolis, he probably has no jurisdiction out here anyway. Yeah, but regardless of whether he's an officer of the law, true or not, right? This is this is really a very serious matter, and as far as I know, it never comes back to bite him. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he, he uh, you know, he, he's he's got a point that he doesn't know what's. Uh, he's trying to protect his his identity, and he's trying to protect. Uh, it, it, I would think it'd be, yes, it is in a way. I think breaking the law, but he's not. He's not destroying. It. He could just burn the place to the ground with his heat vision and destroyed everything. But I don't know. I mean, it's kind of more of a just. It's in the book to me. It's just more kind of a demonstration of his powers. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, it's one of those things that's done and quickly forgotten. Yeah, because he's got to. You know, he's got to get back to his date with now, with Lois. Now, in regards to the uh, the actual um, track to land, though, you know, he he talks about how he used his heat vision to. Silicized or to to fuse the silicates and to make it into that bowl, but didn't he in Action Comics lift up that entire graveyard, and it seemed more like what um, Brandon Roth had pulled up when he pulled up that Lex Luthor's New Continent and Superman Returns, where he was able to pick up a large thing and his powers were able to hold it together, together even though bits and pieces kept falling off, and that that made sense to me, and I, I I would have been able to see him doing that here. But I guess he didn't want to ape that same same thing again because it, it, that that action comics came out I guess within just a few months of this. It may be Byrne just having changed his mind about that uh, because that I know I think that's what I'm getting uh, confused because that that case that does come back because he he puts a graveyard into space and then later I think mm-hmm. when he gets he's it's the action comics when he's crossing over with the Green Lantern Corps. Yep. Uh, it had mutated or something had happened to it and they had to deal with the size. It became a much larger um, size. It became, they started to grow or something. And then that's why he couldn't just push it away and they had to deal with it uh, with their power rings. Yeah. Now there's one thing here I wish that he would have done. And that is he is up in space that the cape, I mean, again, he's flying away at this point. So I guess it's, it's fine for the cape to flap. The way it does, and that's probably right. But I always like um, seeing Superman in space with this cape, just doing weird stuff. Yeah. Since there's no gravity, no wind. True. Well, sometimes you got to take artistic lessons. You have to, you know, you have to make it look cool. I think. Yeah. But that's a nice shot of him coming down with the capes mm-hmm. above him. You know, it's being pulled up as he's coming down to change into uh, this schlubby Clark Kent with his. Uh, and I guess that's just to hide. I mean, he he he's not trying to hide his muscles because he has established that he does kind of work out, and he is, of course, he is a uh, an ex football player, so he's he's in shape. Mm-hmm. But he's certainly trying to hide it to a little bit by wearing these baggy. Uh, mine look kind of tan brown, but I guess they're supposed to be like just gray sweats. Yeah, those are it's just gray sweats. Yeah, I've got the same set. They just don't look as good on me. <laughs> uh, and. Lois is looking very fashionable in her 80s workout gear. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, ever liked this Lois Lane. Her look or the way she's written? The way she's written. 
I mean, I, I you know, a, again, I, I get his attraction to her and, and, and the whole thing that goes on in these next couple pages, which uh, was my least favorite part of the book. I mean, you know, they're jogging through Central Park or, or they're jogging through a park and, uh, you know, it's all very pedestrian and he's talking and thinking about this and you, you can you can really kind of just go past it. Okay, so, I mean, because there's not a whole lot really – to comment on, you've got another woman running around in the same outfit as Lois, except it's different color. Um, and then you've got the lady from the um, – what's her name? Who is in – Olivia Newton-John. There's a girl from the physical video sitting right there in the second panel of the next page, page seven. Um, yeah, but the woman up top that's got the uh, headphones. The and, she looks a little bit like Mamie from the Drew, the, um, Drew, Drew Carey show. Drew, yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. Just not enough makeup. But uh yeah, again, this like this is what I was complaining about in my synopsis, make you know, making it like George Lucas dialogue. It's just painful to get through. And and, and I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to show that Clark is gonna continue to try and get on Lois's good graces. Lois is gonna keep you know, keeping him at arm's length because she's mad that he got the story on Superman first. And <clears throat> He's sitting there thinking to himself, this is this is it reminds me of a a situation I was in in my um, early 20s where I had met some woman and she was just amazing. And I just was like completely enthralled with this woman and really wanted to get to know her, get involved, all that. And I did work my way into a relationship. But what I came to realize is that. You know, the things that made her attractive are not the things that were really about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah, she was attractive and everything. But when you really got to know her, she wasn't a nice person. She wasn't, uh, you know, all that. So I could see him being attracted to her and everything. But once he gets in a relationship with her, I think he'd lose all interest because she's a witch. Well, no, <laughs> she's easily the most vivacious woman he's ever known. And, and and he is coming you know, for all his superpowers. He is a small town boy, and he's coming from Smallville, this little kind of hick town. And he's meet he's meeting this kind of big city woman, and she is um, that probably is part of the attraction. Well, you also got to remember he, of course, was the high school quarterback. Yeah. He had Lana Lang, but I'm sure he had all those other girls just throwing themselves at him. So he he wants a challenge. Well, maybe it's because she is rejecting him is why he's so attracted to her. And yet he knows that she is attracted to Superman. And he even says that, that you know, all you'd have to do is just wink at her, you know, as, as Superman, he'd have her. Yeah. Which I think is, is rather arrogant. That's a, that's but, a little, yeah, that's a little sexist <laughs> that, he, that she'd just fall into his arms if uh, she knew he was Superman. But uh, I, I, I kind of mind this little banter back and forth. It is a little, it's a little forced. Uh, she, I never, I've never liked when they write, and this is for the most part, when they write Lois Lane as being, She's a she's a little abrasive here, you know. Yeah. She's just that, you know. And they're trying to write her as that tough as nails, go get her uh, reporter. But it, as you said, it comes off, and she does she doesn't come off as being very likable at all. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, she suffered that in Man of Steel and in and in, in here mm-hmm. as as Berm was writing her, and so when. It, as that as those series went on, I, I found him myself more intrigued with the early 
uh, relationship with Cat Grant. Yeah. You know, uh, well, of course, I, you, you, you later get to see who Cat Grant really is, and you're yeah. like, oh, maybe not. Well, I think but, you can. I think you can write a woman as being career-minded and driven without making her so abrasive, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, I don't, I'm not trying not to sound sexist at all, but it's just um, – and maybe that's yeah. just the way Byrne thought he had to – maybe that's the way his thing – you know, he thinks he has to, to, to write her that way, you know. But that's that's her trope that, you know, she's always going to run into danger. She has to get the story at all costs. Uh, it's just all about the story for her. And it's not so much – to me, it's never been the quality of the story. It's I got to be first, you know. Yeah. She says that you know Perry White was an ambulance chaser. It's like, well, that's to me, that's not quality journalism. That's just getting it first. You know, you might as well work for the the Enquirer if you're going to get that level of uh, of reporting done. But yeah, well, I mean, and we got little bits of that when they were uh, showing Lois as a reporter in the movies. Yeah. You know, she she never spelled correctly. Yeah. She was going for <laughs> stories that have sex and violence, and you know, whatever. Yeah, that was. But, I think that was just their. Uh... Yeah. Now, uh, as as we get to to page eight, and things start to 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 take off, what did you think when you first saw? And we didn't know. I mean, I'm sure we we knew it was Metallo from the cover, but when 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 you first see him in this this costume, it it made me think of kind of like. Uh, this might have been Sebastian Shaw's little brother, you know, <laughs> or big brother, you know, almost, you know, you know, he bare chested. Uh, he's got that awful. I, my note was that he has no sense of fashion. He's got that awful vest. Yes, if it is. Or whatever it is, it almost looks like a towel around his neck. It's 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 a um, a muscle shirt vest, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. it is awful. And he's got that white belt. With the studs on it. And it's just- I'm surprised he didn't have riding pants on, okay? <laughs> I, I, I was waiting for the riding pants to show up. That was the moment, but no. Kind of a more of a Doc Savage look. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely yeah. see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, of course, we go on the next page and Clark comes in and makes the shunk <laughs> shot to the, to the bread basket, which, of course, has no effect. And then he slaps him. And apparently Superman knows exactly how much, you know, force he used. So he flies over the counter, the teller. And, of course, I'm sitting here looking at the teller counter going, where are the computers? Oh, no, no, there's no computers. There's There's no no computers computers there. And 11.3 interest rate, is that what we were at back then? I thought we were low low interest rates in the the late 80s. That seems a little high. Until the stock market crash, you know. This uh, uh, <laughs> this trope of him getting knocked over, what you know, which is odd that he's he's still feigning, trying to pretend to be human, and he's and he I guess it doesn't matter, but if a human really did was hit with that force to throw him over the counter, he no way he would survive that, and you see that all the time in uh, in comics and and even in films where uh, somebody's getting hit, and it always appears they're getting hit in the head or the the face or you know. That yeah. that's the force that's projecting them a distance, and like that would snap your neck in a second. Yeah, and, and again, this is one of those cases where his thoughts telling you, you know, it was like I didn't even feel that blow, but I've got to pretend to roll with it. Uh, if I resist the force of his swing, he'll shatter his hand. And again, the thought balloon itself ruins the art, and you don't see what's going on with the glasses, and you know, you know that that the way his head is his rolling there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, some of these first issues, or maybe, I don't want to say his whole run, but maybe his first issues, they, 
and I don't want to say suffer, but they do have a lot of burn trying to explain kind of his, uh, maybe overly explain his take on Superman. That- well, I don't think it's, uh, I think what he's doing here is he's trying to bridge that gap between the old and the new. Yeah. Because in, in, in the old Superman comics, the bronze era, you know, the, it was all Superman thinking, especially when you, when you had the, the, Julius Schwartz had this formula that Jim Shooter was was complaining about for years when he was writing Superman, in that you know you always had to he always had to escape from Lois in some ingenious way using his powers. He always had to stop Steve Lombard from playing some practical joke in some way that the joke always blew up in Steve Lombard's face, and so you were sitting there and just pelted with all these thought balloons of Clark th- trying to figure out how he's going to do this and how he's going to do that. And I think that's what he's giving us here. He's giving us the thought balloons, but he's giving us the thought thought balloons in more, you know, understandable situations. True. Is it interesting that they have a bar stool there behind the counter at the uh, bank? Uh, I guess that's what the tower I mean, I sits on. See the rolling chairs, you know, that the desk chairs, but not a bar stool. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, let's uh, get a beer and go on. <laughs> Does metallic uh, metallic look a little? Uh, I'm on page 10 now, a little cable-ish, a little, um, well, I think, you know, that, that when Byrne was drawing, you know, Metallo here, he's sitting there going, okay, I'm drawing this mask over this thing. And he's got that kind of Cro-Magnum brow Mm -hmm. and, um, just everything is, is really accentuated. The cheeks are real high up top and then. You know, they, they suck in shallow there around around the jaws and everything because, you know, he's he's knowing he's going to take that off here shortly and he's going to have to show that. And so it, it, it gives it a it almost makes him look like Darren Cross from the Ant-Man story that we that we covered with the back to the Bins guys a while. Back. He does. He does. Except exactly. Exactly. like and, that. Yeah. And and so it's like I, I was sitting there saying, yeah, there's something really organically off in all of this. But, you know, again, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the way he does that. And, uh, but, you know, you, you got you to gotta wonder where he came up with the hairstyle. Why, why did he give him white hair if this is supposed to be the super, you know, someone that's going to take out a Superman? Well, that's my, that's my question is, does, is this what he looked like before the car accident? Or is it just a face that uh, Vale came up with? Because he doesn't seem to, what we'll later see in the flashbacks when he first sees his own face, it doesn't seem to... It's, I guess he recognizes that that's who he is, not like, well, you know, this is not my face. Who is this? So it's fail was able to copy whatever he looked like uh, yeah. down to giving his, his, his little uh, douchey 80s ponytail. Yeah. I did like that Lois kind of, you know, calls the name Cornball and all that. But it's kinda, yeah. that's, I think he's kind of speaking for the reader there. It's like, well, why don't you, you come up with it? But, you know, again, if you're going to sit there, you've been completely reborn in a, in a robot body and everything. You've got all this ability. Do you want to tell everybody who you are? So you, you give yourself a different name altogether. And that's what the that's what, you know, Dr. Vale said. So why not run with that? Yeah. I mean, he, he could have th- come up with something else, but I kind of get the feeling that he is not a man that thinks a lot. Because what? he just goes, well, if I kill Superman, king of the world. No, if you kill Superman, you kill the last person that can truly be easily killed by your powers other than just punching and crushing people. Exactly. He's, he he <laughs> kills the only person that's that he's specifically designed to defeat. And then in 
because, you know, somebody like Shazam or Martian Manhead would just come along and just, you know, uh, crush him. Exactly. You know, so, but he's not, I think he's just, uh, he's kind of over, he's overcome with uh, this power. And we, and, and I guess his backstory is filled in a little more because we don't, in this issue, we don't find out that he's, I think he's a small town, uh, town crook or even how he was uh, hurt to the point yeah. where Vale had to, to, I guess, find him and then uh, transfer his brain. But Hey, looking at that uh, bottom right panel on page 10, Look at looking at Metallo the way just the way he is. It's like it, the drawing, the the artwork on him seems a little off, especially where his his uh, left leg comes in and uh, his hand is dropping low. So I know the hands, you know, he's got an action going on there, but it just seems something's off about that. His foot does seem a little too forward, like she yeah. unless she's kind of falling, almost like she's falling on top of his foot, but. But look, I mean, that's on his right leg. But look how his left leg is just connected to his body. It doesn't look right. Yeah, I think it's because he's turning. He does have a he does have kind of a weird crotch there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do like you know they they show Superman off in the distance rather than being right there because and and there's something that lets you realize that there's that distance there. Otherwise, you'd think, wow, this guy's really huge compared to Superman. Now he is bigger than he Superman. is big. Not yeah, he says he's big. Yeah. Can you read that sign that's in between them though? Have you something? It looks like you're about an IRA. Have you opened it? Have you opened your IRA yet? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's great. But then the next page, of course, uh, you got Superman and Metallo, and I've got an all yellow background behind them. That's what I've got, which I have no problem with. I know some people complain about that because it's trying to show that that almost intimate moment where the two of them come into contact, really for the first time. I mean, even though Metallo's already swiped Clark Kent. Yeah, but you know, there they are, and the 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 look on Metallo's face is truly inhuman in my mind. It's not, you know, you you, you can tell there's something just not right with that face. Yeah, and that and that's, uh, I guess that's done on purpose by Byrne. Yeah, and of course Superman just kind of manhandling him to to, he, you know, he grabs at his awful vest and uh, just wants to. Of course, you think this guy <laughs> would draw attention just by the way he's dressed. Yeah, uh, but it's a nice effect with the eyes that mm-hmm. that uh, kind of it's almost Kirby crackle that are in the uh, irises of his eyes, um, and of course this is like until I read this like the second time I didn't realize Superman Superman wasn't aware of kryptonite, so he doesn't understand right. why his powers are suddenly just blinking out to a point where he can just smash him through the wall. Yeah, and I just realized he, this guy has got no eyelashes or eyebrows. Uh, you he's, know, got eye, not- he's got eyebrows. If you look in page, top of page 10, he's got oh, yeah, eyebrows. Okay. Yeah, he does have eyebrows. Excuse me. But uh, the eyelashes are com- – they're just not represented there at all. I guess you know they could be there on, on one of them, but it really doesn't look like there's mm-hmm. any. And of course, that again, this is a mask. It looks, and- a, it looks a little like the, uh, the Schwarzenegger's face after he's um, attacked at the Technoir Club and he's got his – and his eyebrows are all burned off. Yeah, it looks a little yeah. like that. Which you know, this was this came out after the Terminator. The Terminator's already been out, so yep, Burn had possibly four, seen four that. Years. Yeah, still don't get it, do you? To find her, that's what he does. That's all he does. You can't stop him. He'll wait for you. He's got her from and put a heart out. Yeah, and then of course you know he throws him outside with a strong crom. 
That, that crom, that's the sound we make when we go through a wall. Mm-hmm. And wong is the sound you make when you hit a uh, moving truck. Yes. Not a truck that's moving, <laughs> a, but a truck that moves furniture. It moves, and it's <laughs> McCain trucking or something. I can't read that. McCain, well, it's, it's McCain. M- McCain moving. McCain moving. Or Mackie. It could be Mackie. Could be. Yeah, probably. And uh, at least he didn't break that TV. Or did he break the TV? He did break the TV. Ah, shucks. Oh, well. I'll have to pay for another one. Yeah. I, I do like Superman's little, when he's flying in, he seems more determined. And then as he's flying into the bank, he's got kind of a little smile on his face that it's kind of, okay, well, I know this guy is, you know, I'm not going to pull my punches now. So that's why, he, uh, you know, he really barrels into him. And, and you can see that on Mattel's face, he's he seems a little distressed there when he's getting hit. But and then it just, apparently, I guess, because Lois is running away and it discovers this hole in the ground that it looks like that rubble flying everywhere. They are just going at it and just tearing his place apart. Now, would you immediately think, you know, with the hole there, oh, he was so lucky Superman saved him? I mean, is she so snowed by Superman? Again, you know, that's that's a question people are, are going to sit there and talk about, and they're always going to go back to Tempest and Lois and Clark. I'm Clark Kent. I'm Superman. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that – you know, I mean, again, you look at it now, and it's just stretching it a little too much. But, you know, it, again, it, you have to have that little bit of conceit there. Let that go. Right. And they're, they're kind of – he's building on uh, which had come before is the – why, why, yeah, why is there no, you know, Clark Kent never around when Superman is around? And it's always that it, – it's always that explanation of where Superman came in and saved me and then he, you know, put me to safety or flew me off somewhere and then he came back and, you know, saved the day. And, and at that point, she didn't care. She's, you know, she gets to see Superman – and she gets a little worried about him because Metallo is kind of wiping the floor with him. Yeah, and this, and then there's page 14. At the top of page 14 as – now, are they in a McDonald's at this point? I think they're still in the bank, aren't they? Uh, I mean because that looks like a – I guess that's a – okay, yeah, that is the bank. But um, I, I guess they went back and forth. Yeah, okay, and they went back in there. But um, as Metallo's punching Superman, it, it's like the art was just a little – I know he's trying to make it a little further off from the, you know, Lois is in the foreground there in mm-hmm. the background. But it seems like something's a little off in the art, especially as far as Superman's face and head is concerned. I mean, he's been hit by Metallo and. Yeah, it's a little less really detailed there. It's not. Less, um, less detailed. Yeah. But I, I do like the fact that Superman is taking damage. He's looking cut up, yeah. bruised, and he's bleeding. Uh, and it's, and it, like I said, it's, it's a nice. Superman is not the all-powerful. You know, this is not, you know, quote, like your father's Superman. He's not the all-powerful We have being. not seen Superman take take a beating like this. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this. And I, I was thinking back to when was the first time I really saw Superman being hurt or having been hurt by someone other than, say, you know, just an obvious kryptonite trap. And even the kryptonite traps were always, you know, they were they were not like what they would do today. Today they would build a, a kryptonite knife, a kryptonite spear, kryptonite bullets, you know, something like that. But back then it was like, okay, they got kryptonite, he gets weak, he falls down, and he turns green, <clears> and, and that, you know that was that. Or they put a kryptonite ray on him, or, or whatever. Yeah, it was just but, to kind of get him out of the picture, so the other heroes could come in and do yeah, their thing. And the, and the first time I ever remember seeing Superman really hurt by something that wasn't just kryptonite was in 
Justice League, the comic book. And I think that's what drew me to the Justice League as a comic book back then. That, of course, was in the days when you know George Perez was getting started and he was in there. But it wasn't even a George Perez issue. I think it was a, either it was a Rich Buckler or Herb Novick or uh, you know one of those guys back in that day where um, – there was a, an alien species that was trying to invade and they were doing something to the oceans and Wonder Woman had flown out in her jet out to the ocean and she actually pulled Superman from the bottom of the ocean and he was knocked out just completely just, you know, beaten the crap out of by something. And I'm just like, wow, well, what can do that to Superman? I'd never seen that. And I didn't really see it much after that. Until, you know, this, I mean, we saw the, the Alan Moore story with Mongol in the Fortress of Solitude, but you didn't really see Superman getting beat up in that. You saw him fighting Mongol, but there was no Superman was taking physical damage or really showing to be knocked out, so to speak. Though I think they well, did actually have him. Uh, Superman 2 had been out by now and he takes uh, the film. And he, you know, yeah. he certainly takes a, a beating in that, but there, it's just him being beaten, knocked down, kind of groggy. There's no physical, you see, no physical um, trauma to him. Right. And same with the rest of them. It's just, to, you know, two massively powerful beings just knocking each other around. Right. But so I think this is nice the way he kind of sets it up. That yeah, you've, yeah, you've got the Man of Steel, but this is this is a different Superman that he's going to have to struggle to overcome his opponents and he he struggles throughout he never has the upper hand in this fight at all no this whole issue no and then uh, we get that that eight panel page where you see four panels of superman sitting there trying to fa- ask metallo who he is and why he's doing no. it and then you see the metallo origin on the other one where he's looking at the hands and does that him looking at the hands make you think of the movie avatar at all no i try not to think of the movie avatar I, I actually like the movie Avatar, but not because of the story, you know, just because of a lot of the visuals and a yeah. lot of the, the things that, 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 that Cameron did with the science. And I like that. I'm looking forward to see what he comes up with. But, you know, the 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 way he does his hands, if you watch what Avatar when um, he first gets into to the body, his, his yeah, to his body, uh, that's the first thing he does. He looks at his hands like that. Yeah. I, I and, like this page a lot. I like the con- – the, uh, the contrast between Superman asking questions and are kind of being answered by, I guess, the metal remembering or having a, these flashbacks. And I love the way Byrne kind of keeps encroaching on Superman's face as he's asking. He's getting more kind of agitated about, you know, basically, why are you doing this? Who are you? You know, what what are you doing this for? The same way a veil is obviously getting all um, ramped up about you know, why he's created Metallo and that, you know, he is, he's, he's right. Well, he's not right. The Superman's an invader, but he's right about Superman's origin, but he's also, he's, he's crazy. You know, he's, he's got this bloodlust. He thinks he has to, you know, it's a lot of the same, the uh, thoughts that were in Man of Steel, Man of Steel, not so much. They didn't know because they didn't really can, I'm thinking more about, his the the attitude portrayed in uh, Batman v Superman that he oh. was he was more of a you know you're an alien we don't want you here you know we you know go back to where you came from that kind of thing but then mm-hmm. <laughs> Summer is getting choked out and this the bottom of page fifteen where the cops are shooting we do assume these bullets are going through Metallo yeah I, I I thought you know if he's that indestructible they should be bouncing off of him but 
and they would still. Well, it's kind of like dropping a wrench into a '77 Mustang with a V8 engine. It's going to ding around a little bit in there, but it'll go through. If there's yeah. enough holes. <laughs> True. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. But you know, of course, when he finally comes out of the the you know there with his whole body, there is not any hole for it to go through. Really, no. no that's what I'm saying. That's what I thought was. And so yeah, you you point out something. Yeah, you point out a really a really good thing. And what's really funny is you know the the cop comes in and well, it looks like actually he gets hit by four bullets, but only three go through. I didn't. I didn't notice that till now. Yeah, there's four. Uh... Because there's four sounds also coming from the guns. Brr, 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 rap. <laughs> well, maybe one's and, not going through. One's st- yeah. you know staying inside his body. Yeah, and how many cops are there? Is is that three cops or four? I see three. I see three, but only one fires the whole time, which which is which is really interesting. And of course, up at the top of, of that same page, when Metallo's got his hand around Superman's neck, it's like. What the heck is going on there? I mean, I understand he is choking Superman in a big way, but there's like this slab of flesh on Superman. Like he, you know, had a couple extra pounds on after Thanksgiving and (laughs) the flesh is hanging over. But I really love that second panel, that inorganic or super organic, you know, green eyes with the fleshy all Mm -hmm. around it and and all that. But yeah, the cops. Now, this is one of those scenes uh, with the cops shooting him that gets aped in that Terminator series. Oh, oh, with them shooting uh, yeah. at him? Okay. Yeah, the three shots going through. And then on the next page at the top where you see him laying against the wall. And again, this is where it gets interesting. How many bullet holes are up on that wall? One, two, three, four, five, six, at least six. But we know he had four bullets hit him and one go through. So it looks like they kept shooting at him. After he fell down. After he fell down. We just didn't get the full scope of that. Because you see on his chest, at the bottom of that page, 16, you see at least four bullet holes in yeah, his chest. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you see Superman. And I really love that shot of Superman, his head hanging down, his hair hanging loosely. And he's sitting there just trying to stand up and Lois is trying to help him. That's a great shot. I love the way the cape is is yeah. around him and it's the way it's flowing on the floor. And he just looks – I mean, it's, it's, it's a great shot of him looking – like he just had to snot beat out of him, and he has, and he's really trying to, you know. Um, but you got to give a lot of credit to to the colorist, also Zuko. Look how he's got the blue uh, on Superman's costume underneath the cape uh, behind his neck. Mm-hmm. Just that attention to detail showed that everybody here was dialed in on this book. There was no second stringers, you know, working here uh, on any of this. I say that now, of course, in the bottom left hand corner. Superman's face looks like Klaus Janssen inked it. True. <laughs> and that's and that <laughs> we get this again from uh, Mattel when he's coming back. It's like, you know, and he's got this and he, throughout this thing. He has this grin and I, and I, and I wrote my notes, that, you know, I'm quoting Batman, you know, what's up with that stupid grin? When we're <laughs> talking about the, you know, when the Joker's taking over. Yeah. That's just, I guess, to show his um, gleefully overconfidence that, you know, he's just he just drunk with power. He thinks and and they were going to get this uh, uh, this nice you know explanation of of that Vale has come up with. You know, he basically he's cracked the code. He's he's solved everything. He knows where he's coming from, and he's right. But here, this raises an interesting question. You know, that we we get the the or, his whole origin flashbacks are shown in this green silhouette, mm-hmm. and the green silhouette is supposed to represent the kryptonite radiation that's powering his suit. 
but he, has, uh, but he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it yet. Yeah, he doesn't have it yet. He doesn't get it till the very end. But is this, is that just a coloring of the memory itself? I think that's just that's just an artistic choice to show that it that is that um, that's you know I think that's just a choice that Byrne made that he's gonna um, yeah that he's gonna um, he's just gonna color it green because that's ultimately that's what that you know fits getting the pun that's the heart of the story uh, is the green kryptonite. But I thought his his turn was was a little quick because throughout this where Vale is basically telling him, oh, he's an alien and he's, you know, he's, they've come here to conquer us and he was mutated into this kid. He's hiding out amongst us. And you see off panel, you see, uh, cause it's from, you know, the, it's a POV shot from Metallo. He's like, well, you're crazy. You know, you, what are you talking about? And he's like, Superman is a, he's a good guy. He's no invader. And then he keeps telling him, you know, well, you know, I've discovered this, his, um, this message from his father and I've decrypted some of it. And it's, it's all about invasion. And he said, look, now you've got this kryptonite heart and that's going to be able to destroy Superman. And that's when the town just kind of just his, his turn is so quick. It's like, Hey, you're right. I think I will kill him. And he just, when he snaps his neck, I, I thought that he seemed a little more puzzled and confused about what was going on. And maybe it's the addition of the kryptonite. Maybe that boosted his, his, um, his power is such a level that he kind of became drunk with it. And that's when he decided. Oh, absolutely. To. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I think that, uh, he was completely drunk on the power and, you know, everything else that, that he had seen, he had mildly absorbed, yeah. you know, as far as, as, as what, you know, Vale said to him, the only thing that really mattered was Superman was an alien. He had the power to kill him. And as far as he was concerned, that would make him the most powerful man on earth. Not really thinking that one through though. Well, he he mentions later. He said he after he I guess he kills Vale. He just kind of wandered around, not knowing what to do. And then he that's when he came to realize that Vale was right that he could kill Superman and he could just then he could be the you know that's the old conflict trope. I kill you and I could come you know to be the most powerful thing in the world. And you know I guess you could think at this point there haven't been that many superheroes uh, in this new timeline. So maybe Superman, Batman, and a couple of others. So maybe, or at least the public is aware of. So maybe he doesn't think. Maybe he thinks Superman is the only powerful being out there. So once he kills him, he can take over. Yeah, but at this point, you know, there had been a Justice League that had been around and and it had become Justice League Detroit, and Justice League Detroit had just fallen. But that timeline was wiped out, wasn't it? After Crisis? No. So, uh, wow, that's right. That's a good question. I mean, the thing is, there had been a Justice League around because we get a new Justice League in the wake of Legends. But mm-hmm. there was a Justice League before that, a Justice League of America before that. They had been around, again, looks as several years, you know, maybe not as long as Superman and Batman had been around. Yeah. But the Justice League had been there. John Jones had been there. You know, Wonder Woman is the only real newcomer at this point. And, you know, Guy Gardner being, you know, the Green Lantern now. Um, but, I mean, you had a Green Lantern. You had Hal Jordan for years who sw- created the legend. Yeah. You know. Uh, so, I mean, it's Metallo to sit there and think that killing Superman would open the pathway for him to being king of the world. Just completely delusional. Well, as you said, he's not, not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this guy, you know, Emmett Vale. Showing all this stuff, you know, of course, he's got that that extremist nutbag 
sheen on them that you can p- p- practically taste or smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the old, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Don't argue with me about it. They're out there. Billions <laughs> of them. Aliens. You know. Yeah, it's, I, it's more like just do what I tell you to do, damn it. You know. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, just, well, I, I like the fact that he sit there and he was able to translate some of it. But all he translated was the word Krypton. Yeah. And the destruction of the planet. But, you know, he wasn't able to translate anything else because, you know, if he had, he probably would have, you know, found, okay, well, they're all dead. Well, he just he's just going to accept what fits into his little uh, scenario. Yeah. So if anything else is, uh, you know, if, if if he had translated and it proved that they were uh, peaceful, he probably would ignore that anyway. Or he would have found some way to, in his mind, uh, alter it or, or, or spin it so that it still fits into his his worldview that, that, you know, they are, they're, they're the invaders. And, right. you know, he didn't seem to be worried about the other aliens that are on the planet that Superman mentions are in this issue itself. He, Hawkman and Green Lantern, of course, isn't, you know, he's not an alien, but he deals with aliens and Martian Manhunter and the rest. So, uh, and was just, he's just, a, he's just a nut. Yeah. Yeah. He is. And as we get into this next page, page 18, I think the art kind of suffered here a little bit. And, I, you know, of course, the example, the best examples are just the way Metallo is looking. And, of course, Metallo, his appearance, I guess, you know, needs to be rougher and less human than it should. But the bottom right panel on page 18, that almost looks like a Frank Miller panel. Uh, at least the part where you see Metallo and Superman and all the rubble in the mm-hmm. fight. It, 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 it looks very Miller-esque. Uh, in, in non-proportional kind of out, you know, outside in, in uh, almost like you can't quite make it all out. It does lose a lot of detail, I think, because he's drawing it so small. Yeah. This the this fight would have been, I mean, it would have been hard for him to intercut with the, uh, the, the backstory here, these flashbacks. But it would have been nice if these were blown up to full, more full, pa- you know, panels. If they were uh, either a nine grid or, you know, just even if they were just half panels per page you really see this uh, these two go at it yeah yeah I, they, they could have done this as a treasury edition oh that'd be nice it made, made it nice and big and been able to, to put more detail into the art or even just carry these across have the flashbacks where they are but have the panels split over spill over so you've got two pages of the panels of them yeah. fighting and then you know we turn the page and that's when you go to LexCorp where yeah, he finds out that but we get to the next page for LexCorp, and the detail here is amazing. Yeah, that building is great. I love the, the building I love is the ref- great. Reflection of the cloud in the uh, top of it. Uh huh. And then the next panel, as as Pearl comes in, all the monitors up above, and the the nice huge window. Just uh, all the detail on this is just like wow, this is amazing, and this is what we what we come to expect from from Byrne and Austin. Uh, do you think those uh, his monitors? Uh, that does not seem the most practical way to. Looks like you'd have to lean back in your chair to look at them. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it's uh, I don't think that that burn took classes in ergonomics back no. then. <laughs> and apparently, you have a moon base if you look at one of them. Well, yeah, yeah, a moon base. And um, what is that? Is that like uh, King Kong attacking a structure in the next to last one? 
I can't tell what that is. Or, or, is, that, like, or is that or Godzilla? It's a statue, maybe. I can't tell. I thought one of them it, looked like the space shuttle taken off. Y- yeah, and I was like, I was like, think about <laughs> this. This is this is late '86, so the shuttle's already blown up, hadn't it? The shuttle blew up in May, right? Oh my gosh, I can't. I have to look that up. I can't. Yeah, uh, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to look that yeah. up. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. Ooh. But this uh, and this is interesting. That this is, I guess, this is the first. This is this our first bald Lex Luthor. Yes, it's completely. The last bald. one we saw was in was in issue four, and that's where he got the Fred Mertz. Yeah, little reddish hair, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And this, so this is also our first uh, time. Oh, and, and for those listeners that don't know the Fred Mertz re- remark, that's from the TV show I Love Lucy, <laughs> a black and white TV show from the fifties that was really really popular. What's, what's and for black those and of white? us that grew up in the eighties, it was played ad nauseum as reruns every day at five p.m. For us on Channel 11 here in the DFW area, but we saw it every single day because that's all that was on. That's right. If you didn't watch that, you had to watch the news. We had three channels growing up. Yeah. Uh, four. Well, that four. was PBS. PBS. Well, there was nothing on PBS. But this is our first our first Ball Luther, and I I guess it's our first look into that he is – that he's vowing that you know, he, Superman has to die at his hands. He doesn't. He won't settle for anybody else killing him. Yeah, and this is and, and it's funny because you you see him at his desk. He is the master of all he surveys. I, you know, of course, I'm I'm sitting there looking at that shot of him sitting at the desk there from the distance. You know, aside from the fact that he's got a bald head, I'm I'm thinking of our brand new president that was sworn in not two days ago, <laughs> signing in his new laws in. So, uh, but again, you know, the 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 original description that they come up with for Lex Luthor back at this point was. You know Donald Trump is a super super villain. Yeah, and even uh, they came out with a uh, biography of Lex Luthor, and it was a carbon copy of the Donald Trump biography that came out at the same time. And the fact that Luthor later in the uh, DC becomes president. Yeah, he does become president. <laughs> oh my gosh, does that mean we're going to get to see a giant Batman, Superman, robotic uh, mon- uh, not monster, but a, a giant robot fighting to save us? We can only hope. Yeah, the comp- was it the composite Superman? Uh, no, but that's a that's a great page there. And um, the next page we get a lot of uh, nice burn rubble where they've basically destroyed this bank mm-hmm. and everything's coming down. And uh, I guess well, that's the only cop that made it out, but she's I guess Lois really feels that Superman was you know was that close to being dead. Yeah, and again, I don't understand. You've seen all the things Superman can do, a building falling on him, even though he was getting beaten up by this guy. A building falling on him shouldn't worry I wouldn't think so. Much. But now then, Metallo coming up with the torn cape, we get the first good look at the the robotic body and uh, with the, with just the half face mask. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, very Terminator-esque. Yeah, I'm looking. Hand. I'm looking to see if I can see a bullet wedged in there anywhere. It looks like there is one spot where there could be a bullet right right in there under the diaphragm. He could have, or he could have. Yeah, you know, there's some spots where the bullet could have uh, could have passed through. These look like little these little pistons that are controlling his uh, uh, the sides of his torso. But he looks a little, especially in the bottom left on 21, where he's first opening his chest. That half face is very reminiscent of, of course, this is before, but of the cyborg Superman that shows up in, yeah, in Death of Superman. That's nine nine years later, practically. Yeah. Golly, that's that's amazing. Um, I do find there seems to be a lack of detail 
in the, uh, the the pages here. You know, aside from Superman's hand coming out and grabbing Metallo, that there seems to be a lack of, of detail in all this. Even with the rubble about, it, it seemed like they, they didn't spend a whole lot of effort on these, these panels with the rubble and destruction. The robot body does look a little rushed. It doesn't look as detailed as we know Byrne can do. Yeah. Uh, it does look a little... Um, I mean, it's a nice shot in the bottom of 21 where he's got the chest open and basically you're mimicking the cover. Yeah. With all that green glow, but... And that, that was something that I, I I kept looking at this panel and other panels. And as we get into further pages here, when... Uh, well, okay, not further pages. I, you know, the thing is that that uh, shot of him down on the ground, you know, kind of in pain and everything as the light comes down on him. I, we've seen this or we get to see a similar shot to this, not only in legends, but in other burned books. Mm-hmm. And it's not always just Superman, it's other characters, but it seems to be, I don't want to say a stock pose cause it's not a stock pose, but a, a, a kind of scene that you get a lot of where something is coming on from beyond and it's affecting them and they're laying down in front of it. And we'll get to see that a couple times that, yeah. that perspective. But uh, yeah, that is cool though with the whole kryptonite art uh, heart being shown. But where do the uh, the the shields for the heart go when he's standing there? Is it just so bright that it, that we can't see them? I guess anymore? they can't see him. I don't know if they fold into it or they. Yeah, it looks I, like they just open up. It's like kind of Optimus Prime. He's taking out the uh, Matrix of Leadership because you can, that's the only shot you see of it. Is that yeah. those two panels? Because after that, it's it's an it's a. Again, it's uh, he's cutting back and forth, and it's nice because Superman, you're zooming in on Superman, and you're zooming out on Metallo, so that yeah. the bottom page, the bottom panel, and top panel are kind of parallel, so they're just their eyes uh, to the point where, and Superman's face in this, where it's where he's looking, like he's really in pain, he's struggling. It looks like later burn work. If you kind of think of his next men stuff and that yeah. era, that's looks more. Like he's getting towards that style of his work because uh, I don't think you'd ever see a face like this in his X Men work. Is no. he never quite the he didn't quite sculpt the face as much as he does in this. No, true, and, and it, to me, it actually uh, I think you know because he had a friendship with Frank Miller at this time. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure he probably maintained that friendship, mm-hmm. but it seems like there are things that he's taken from Frank, especially when he close does a close up. Mm-hmm. On something he's taking something from Frank Miller. Now the one shot there in uh, on page twenty two, where Metallo is looking up in shadow, mm-hmm. that right there was also ripped and used in that Terminator, Terminator series. Yeah, not the other ones, but that one. I do like the the juxtaposition: Superman on the left in in pain, and mm-hmm. the very robotic Metallo on the right, and you know showing all that detail in there. I thought that was really really cool, especially on the 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 work he did on the eye. Yeah. And all that. That's, yeah, it's much more detailed on this than the previous mm-hmm. page. But the uh, the backgrounding and everything in those bottom right two panels reminds me of uh, Jim Starlin, the stuff that he would do for his background and such in his artwork. Even uh, in like DC Comics Presents when he was working with uh, – when he was um, doing the Mongol stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember seeing a lot of that there. But that's that's just me. Then on our uh, our last page, we get uh, some more great burn rubble, and it's a nice it's a nice wide shot that he he decided to pull back, and you see just Superman kind of small in amongst of all this uh, you know rubble that's that was left of this building. Uh, I think that it shows this how kind of weak and 
defeated he is, and he's uh, and he looks even worse. His face looks really pounded in this in this one. And he's like he's he's got bruises, and he's and he's you know he's concerned. He's worried about um, not so much about he's worried about you know because he's he's discovered that hey, there's a substance out there that can that can harm me and can potentially kill me, and he's yeah, got to be worrying about it. At the same time, I did notice something here. The 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 cape gets torn into tatters. Mm-hmm. Superman's face gets beat up a good bit. He's bunged up pretty well. His costume doesn't have a mark on it. Yeah, he would have some rips. He'd it'd be like a he'd have. Well, that. I mean, I mean, the, the thing is, is that the costume is as strong as his invulnerability. You know, it it it's based on his the invulnerability, the electrochemical aura that he, that he projects about his body. If he is weaker. And again, we're talking almost the, the psionic side of it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If he is weaker of mind or, or whatever, then his invulnerability wouldn't stand up. The costume itself wouldn't stand up to the beating and the costume would get torn. The costume didn't get torn anywhere any, right. at all throughout the entire issue. It was like he always had the faith in his his, his powers and his, his uh, vulnerabilities, but the kryptonite could just get right through it as Metallo would punch him. But I see Metallo was mostly going for the head. Yeah. Well, maybe subconsciously Superman doesn't want to appear naked, so. <laughs> He's yeah, worried about but, that. But I really like this last page. The last page has a lot of a lot of good detail. You know, when you look at Superman, you can see – Superman and Lois, you can see the emotions on their face mm-hmm. truly playing out. Um, a lot of good work put into that. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a nice way to end it and it sets a lot of stuff up because this is – the only thing – the, the, the question you have to ask, though, is how long did this whole battle take, really, in the amount of time? Because you would think that there would be emergency workers running in there to tend to Superman, if anyone. And Lois wouldn't be the only one getting in there. In fact, everybody would be fighting to keep her away. That's Considering true. that you had a guy with a lot of green glowing stuff and the word radiation was being used <laughs> a lot. You know, they would be fighting to keep everybody away. But once he was gone – you think emergency services would come in and try to tend to Superman? Even yeah, though it would, it would be. Yeah, you would have people. You'd have people surrounding this thing, and they would be. Uh, they're probably rushing in to, to attend to him, and it's just like anybody's, you know, going to kind of come in and, and try to see if he needs any help. But mm-hmm. uh, this sets up. I guess this is the. I guess Metallo's heart is what gives where um, Luther gets the kryptonite for his ring. Correct. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the the next issue, uh, issue two, is probably more famous than issue one in that it's got that famous moment where Lex Luthor gets a computer that it takes in all the information they've got on Superman and they've decided to collect everything they can about Clark Kent and the computer, you know, of course, uh, con- it comes to the conclusion that Clark Kent is Superman. Yeah. And Luthor says, obvious to a computer maybe. But I'm a man, and a man knows that power like that must be constantly exploited. Yeah, you know, and and, and he ignores the, the what the computer says, fires the the female doctor. But the um, that this one wound up in the greatest Superman stories ever told. This one, which yeah, this story, uh, no issue number two. Oh, two. Yeah, but he had Metallo. That's where he yanked the heart right out of Metallo and gave it to the scientists to study. And uh, they they fashioned the ring from it that they showed at the very end of issue two. You know, I, I just realized something in my my copy of this issue. It does not have the letters pages or any ads or anything. I don't have anything. Just, Mine just goes right into uh, another uh, issue. 
Yeah. Now the the th- the thing about the letters page uh, in in a whole John Byrne era and and after there was one writer that uh, would constantly write in and was very eloquent in his review of every issue. And so they kept printing his letters. His name was Malcolm Bourne. I don't know if you recall that at all. Mm -mm. Um, I've already ever read the letters pages. Yeah. I mean, because every now and then you'd see letters from other guys, uh, Kurt Busiek. um, And, uh, you know, there were other guys from the industry that would write in saying, you know, how good it is and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was TM Maple. Uh, golly, I'm trying to remember what his what his real call sign was. Was it the Mad Maple Leaf or? No, but yeah, TM Maple is a very famous letter writer, um, who I believe has passed on at this point. But Malcolm Bourne was the other famous letter writer of the era, and so I was like, I was sitting there looking for that, trying to say, oh, do we have one of his letters in here? But nope, nope, I don't have any letters letters page at all. Yeah, I don't have anything in my digital copy. But uh, you know, this is a great first book to look at to start off the year. What what other thoughts do you have uh, about this one? Just it was a it's a it was a fun read. It's it's a nice you know I I'd forgotten that it introduces so many firsts that his first kryptonite first time uh, Superman is revealed to the public that he's an alien and, and not from Earth. Uh, first obviously the first post crisis Metallo, and I guess that's really the, all the big firsts are. But it, it was just it's just a fun read. I mean it's it's got some dynamic fighting. It's got some good art. Uh, it it kind of sets up. Superman for the storylines that are going to come down the road. And it's a good starting point. Definitely a good starting point for, for Superman there. I think it's a good starting point in 2017 for us. Yep. So you got any final thoughts on this? No, I think I've, I've said everything I want to say. Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, that Tim and I are going to have a, uh, a feedback episode coming up. And uh, hopefully we can do another top five kind of episode. But uh, we'll have to find a new subject to use for that. Maybe we can get some feedback from our listeners. Yeah, that can, yeah if they uh, want to give us some ideas. Or to some what what yeah. type five subjects they'd like us to to cover here because that, that was a very popular episode also. So, you know, anything you can say, uh, you know, just uh, write it down or leave us a voicemail. They can leave us a voicemail, can't they? Well, they can record it and send it to us. They can record it and send it to us. Or best, <laughs> the, thing, the best thing is either just write it into our, our email, got to get burned at gmail.com or uh, Facebook. Yeah, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'd like to say a, a, a hello to uh, John Hyatt and David Johnson, who've been definitely uh, very uh, avid listeners and supporters the, and supporters of the show. Uh, of course, there are a lot of other people out there who've been a big help. We we just had a crossover episode, a team up episode, if you will, with uh, Paul Spataro and Dr. Bill Robinson that you'll see coming soon on Back to the Bins, and we'll post it here on our page as well. Uh, as, as always, if you buy anything off amazon.com, please be sure to use the two true freaks link at the top of the two true freaks.com webpage, uh, to make your purchase. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything extra and the two true freaks get a little cut of, uh, of what you bought helps keep the light on lights on here for us. So, uh, you know, we don't go broke from this cause we make no money off of this. No, nope. but we just, nope. we just do it cause we like doing it. Yep. We get a kick Any, out of it. Anyway, uh, of course, you can reach Tim and I at our own various Facebook pages. And then we've got our Third Degree Burn uh, Facebook group that we would really like you to join. We've got a, uh, a small group of uh, a very uh, you know active listeners that uh, comment on us uh, from time to time. And we like to throw stuff out to them all the time, You know, give, throw a few bones that may not put uh, make it into the other uh, Facebook groups. So uh, 
And and I'm trying to put together a promo for us, and I want to get different people recording their their version of of, of statements that have been said about Byrne over the years. But uh, you know, like, like you know, his X Men was you know the. Him leaving X Men was the reason why I stopped reading the book, or his Superman is my Superman, or he's a sexist pig, or I mean that that's a joke, obviously. You know, not everything is serious, but I want to record some different versions of it for the the promo. So if if you want to get your voice out there, you can make a recording and send it to me. Uh, just uh, PM me on Facebook. Yeah, or just you can just I think you've been getting them through the email, haven't you? Yeah, they've uh, they've emailed them to me at uh, the got to get burned at gmail.com address. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, Tim, if you wanted to make a few recordings, you could do that. I could use I could use a couple. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to uh, put my brain to it and see what I can uh, now that my work is kind of getting to a point where I'm it just comes in waves and sometimes work just overwhelms me and I can't uh, I can't get anything is, done. But no, I understand. That's, is, it that's really everywhere. Three, is it really three o'clock? It is three o'clock. Uh, I think wow. you have a football game to watch. So. Yeah, well, you know that I think we've covered all we can here. You brought us in, so go ahead and bring us out. All right. Well, for uh, for third degree burn in our first show of uh, 2017, uh, this is Tim Elliott, and this is Brian Hughes. Good Thank night. you. Good night. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, this amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel, Superman. Possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice, disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. 
Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor.